Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Aid Radio, coming fresh off the heels of an appearance on the Mark Fixture Show. Soon up, Dancing with the Stars. Anyway, uh, Mike, who forgot? All right, Karma, you're up first today. Hi, Steph. Um, it's great to be here with you. Well, nice to chat with you, too, Karma. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I guess first wanted to tell you kudos for... Uh, this show tonight, this interview was really great. Uh, definitely, you hit the nail on the head with the shutdown, of course, and um, definitely got a good chance to, you know, spread philosophy and reason and logic on that show. I definitely think it was productive, and as well as with the debate with Peter Joseph. Um, I just am amazed at how well you handle, I don't know how to describe people like that. I'm the worst with debates when it comes to, you know, just people to just pump out the ad hominems like that. Like, I, I was just definitely impressed with your Well, your thank you. I, I appreciate that, that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I always try to start off well and... But I, I've never been a turn-the-other-cheek kind of guy. Like, I mean, I think if people are not acting in an honorable manner, I think it's uh, okay. And also, my standards progressively deteriorate as other people's <laughs> standards deteriorate too, which I think is is quite right. You know, I mean, if you're in a fight and people are obeying the Queensbury rules, then fantastic. And if they don't, well, uh, then I guess we go where they go, right? So I think that's a reasonable uh, approach to have. So, um for sure, uh, it is for interesting. Sure. It is interesting, of course, that I mean, I mean Peter Joseph uh, and and his ilk, uh, you know, on on the Venus. Somebody pointed this out on on the the message board forum that on the Venus Project website, there is their their dedication to nonviolent forms of communication. I don't think piece of shit and douchebag and <laughs> con man uh, all the stuff that he called me. I think he might want to reread. <laughs> I think he might want to reread his own mission statement uh, because I think I think he may have just deviated from the nonviolent communication approach just a smidgen. Uh, but uh, I am not uh, I am not expecting that to ship to write itself anytime soon. So uh, I guess we'll just leave that one 360 in the rear view. Well, but anyway, what's uh, what's on your mind tonight? Well, all we can do is plant seeds, right? And you definitely hit a nerve. So obviously, but I think you know you all, you stuck with the facts. You didn't take anything personally and that's I guess what I find myself having a hard time doing when it comes to debate and all of that stuff but um and oh so you think like you think the ad homs you think the ad hominems are sort of about you kind of thing about me I don't know I think that I just get I don't know before I um took my my logic my intro to logic class um, a few years ago for me debate was always I didn't understand the fallacies for a long time and how people use them, you know, in debate to, you know, uh, skip or trip people up, kind mm. of thing. And I think that's what I had have had a hard time with for a long time, and I just try to. Um, I don't know. I just I just try to not debate with people and listen to other people's ideas, but I don't know. I just I I think that um I think that 
it's I think that you're really good at what you do, and that's definitely why I enjoy listening to your podcast so much for sure. So and and you did great with Peter Joseph. He um, you hit the nail on the head with him on every point. He kept I thought what was interesting about that whole his whole issue is he kept saying you're not addressing my root issue you're not addressing my root issue but he wasn't even listening to anything you were saying you did address his root issue it's just his root issue was invalid you know what I'm saying I mean like you pretty much explained to him in detail why the basis of his whole argument was just like jello you know what I'm saying does that make sense yeah I mean I I think that Things certainly went a bit, started going a bit south when, when he said, uh, I said, he used the term anarcho-capitalism. And I said, you know, for those who don't know, uh, this is what it means, right? Because I'm not trying to preach to the choir. I'm hoping that that debate will go wider. And if people don't understand terms at the beginning. So the Mm -hmm. first thing I did when he used a term that, that most people would not be familiar with is I defined it. And do you, do you remember what he said? Was that at the very beginning of the conversation? Yeah, yeah, he right was at the always beginning. like, I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> no, no, he, he said, uh, he said, well, I'm, you know, I'm just, I, I'm going to continue and assume that everyone is already familiar with everything I'm oh, talking yes. about kind of thing, right? And it's like, why, why would you bother, why, why would you bother doing that? I mean, <laughs> you, you want to make things clear to people who don't already know what you're talking about. That's the whole point of being a teacher. Yeah, About a what? You know what everybody says about assume, so it's it's not. Oh yeah, yeah, and I said it's you and me, so. <laughs> yeah, but, it's not uh, usually anyway. the wisest idea. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I think I think it is really important to try and and talk to people in a way that really helps them to understand things. I mean, it, it, it is not very helpful to use a lot of jargon that people don't understand when you want to convince people how to be good. You know, that's that's like a, a nutritionist using the Latin phrase for everything. Like, why why would you? Unless I mean, you just want to be just... above those people, like intellectually. Well, that's what it seems then... like to me he's trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I, this again, this isn't particularly about Peter Joseph, but I, I think it's really important to boil things down to stuff that is digestible by, by people as a whole. And And I don't know, maybe he's not had kids but you know i think it would be an amusing (laughs) sketch to have peter joseph attempt to explain the zeitgeist movement to a four-year-old i mean i can explain my philosophy to a four-year-old because i have a four-year-old i can explain the non-aggression principle i can explain property rights i mean she gets all of those right (laughs) she has these uh my my daughter has these little toy uh, kitties that she just loves and she has like she she earns them Basically, by uh-huh. giving up prior toys to other children, like toys that she doesn't really use anymore, we donate them to, to other kids. And so she gets these kitties, which she just loves. Anyway, so a friend, a friend of hers was over, and she left her. She normally will put the kitties away because she doesn't want other kids to play with them. And the kitties were all out <laughs> on a chair. And the other kid was like, ooh, kitties, you know, starts moving towards them. And my daughter literally ran across the room and threw herself spread-eagled on top of her kitties (laughs) to make sure that the other – she's okay sharing other toys, but they are her precious kitties, right? So, Uh And so the story was she told the the kid, she said, look, uh, my my kitties are not well, uh, and and they're highly contagious. And so it's really important. 
hard to play with them so that you know and of course she, she wasn't lying she was making you know she knew she was making a story and all that kind of stuff but boy you don't have to explain property rights to her and the non-aggression principle she's really down with upb she gets the whole thing mm-hmm. uh, so you know it, it is it is a real challenge to explain sophisticated concepts to a general population but i think that's the real challenge like i'd love to see how someone like peter joseph would explain the reverse neo-continuum fallacy of <laughs> undergarments or whatever the hell it was to a four-year-old or, you know, this is structural violence to a four-year-old. But if you can't, and I'm not saying everyone has like the intellect of a four-year-old, but if you can explain it to a four-year-old, then that is some pretty amazing stuff, right? I mean, I know after this call, uh, my daughter is going to want to know everything about what we talked about. And so I have the challenge of, of translating what, uh, what we talk about to someone who's four. And that is a really great challenge, a really important challenge. But I think uh, if you really want to – I mean, I, I was explaining to her the theory of relativity the other day. And wow. I mean, I'm still <laughs> kind of fuzzy about it, right? But she kind of gets – she doesn't obviously understand the concepts, and neither, neither do I really, like the math or anything like that. But, you know, just the idea of, of what happens at, at high speeds and, and all that gravity well – uh, bending light and I mean all of that stuff it's if you can do that that's a very interesting challenge and and I think you know I, I stuff I had to explain to her when she was two and three was also really interesting uh, and really challenging and I just think that's mm-hmm. an important exercise for people to go through but anyway um, let's uh, let's move on if you have a specific question I totally agree uh, well I mean I guess I don't I do have a question about your um, show about the lady that um, drove her car into the cops or whatever in D.C. And you did the um, little clip about just, I guess, about your frustration with, um, you know, the media spin on that whole thing about the hormones and how they always try to demonize women basically and or not demonize them but excuse I mean to me that's kind of a a, a demonization but it's also an, on the other hand a, an excuse they're they're all just crazy anyway so you know why yeah, uh, um, take them seriously as human beings yeah and I mean it's it's so ridiculously imprecise right so so postpartum depression does not create violence right does not create aggression uh, does not create panic I mean, it's depression. Depressed people are not violent. You know, they have trouble getting off the couch. Mm -hmm. And what they could say is postpartum psychosis. But postpartum psychosis does not last for a year or two. I think the kid was 18 months or something like that. Postpartum psychosis is is a very brief. Now, that can provoke violence. but So people were just grabbing whatever they could out of the ether to apply it to this woman. And I think that's – it's premature. Let's yeah, definitely. And that's the issue with today. I think we have very serious uh, issues with our mental health services in America today. And I personally, um, my biological father was, uh, well, he died a homeless man on the streets of L.A., you know, alcoholic Vietnam vet. And he was um, also prior to that, 
you know, severely abused as a child by his stepfather, you know, pretty much beat daily. And then, you know, around 13 or whatever, he asked why does he get beat and not the other kids, his brothers and sisters. And that's when he finds out that this guy is not his real dad and that it's his stepdad because he tells them it's, you know, because you're not my kid, you know. And it was just a horrible way for him to find that out. And then he goes into the military and goes to Vietnam. So I just, for me, how can we as a society expect people like that to be productive members of society? I mean, that just I don't think we can. My yeah. mind. I mean, I don't think we can. I don't think we can. Uh, I think it's, me, uh, I mean, I'm so sorry about what happened to your father at, at every level. I mean, it's awful. It's terrible. I mean, it, it's, boy, I mean, you, you really couldn't design a system that would be more likely or an experience or a set of experiences that would be more likely to end up with your father the way he was. And, you know, this, this gem-like, beautiful, white, ethereal flame of a human soul snuffed out so early in life, mm-hmm. uh, put through such wretched amounts of violence and then participation in violence in the war. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to even imagine how he could have had a chance. Really? And that's, to me, when I see these these situations with these people, you know, going through this psychosis, all these lone gunman scenarios, you know, the the lady in D.C., the the shooter on the military base, Sandy Hook, Aurora, Colorado, Columbine. I mean, it just goes on and on. When are we going to realize that I feel we as a society do have a moral responsibility to give some sort of better mental health services than what we're providing. I mean, obviously, it's lacking because the more money goes into the military-industrial complex than it does for our mental health services. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, and I mean, this this issue of uh, excuses... I mean, if, if and just just to uh, deal with the mental health stuff in a sec, but just to sort of point out the disparity because this video did confuse some people. But this woman immediately gets excused up the yin yang, right? I mean, for for what she did, right? She postpartum, she was confused, she panicked, she you know maybe her GPS got broken, like just immediately people are rushing to to excuse excuse her and so on. Now, if you look at her actions, where she basically put a child into a hail of gunfire, a baby into a hail of gunfire, uh, this is, is certainly something. She obviously which could be had mental health problems. Obviously. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether she had mental health problems. I don't know uh, what what she did. I mean, some people have mental health problems because they continually do bad things. Right. I mean, like some people have heart problems because they have bad genetics and some people have heart problems because they sit around for 20 years uh, eating potato chips. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I mean, I have no idea. Maybe she'd been mean to people. I mean, obviously, she'd had a bad childhood, or I would guess. But, you know, that doesn't determine anything in particular. I mean, certainly uh, there's still free free will for the most part. Maybe she'd just been really mean. You know, people look at my own mom and say, well, you know, this this poor woman, she's, you know, obviously not all there and this and that and the other. Well, um, maybe uh, it is entirely genetic. I doubt it. But she was also a really 
a mean and vicious person for most of her life. And that drove good people away from her. So she didn't have social support. She didn't have social networks. It drove me away from her. And so it, 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 does she have no choice in the matter? Did she never have a choice? I know she had a choice. I know that there were times where she felt bad about what she did. I know, know there are times when she made vows to do better. And I'm just not willing to strip free will from people who don't have, you know, obvious brain injuries or, or um, obvious uh, brain trauma or a brain disease or something like that. I, like I just – I'm not willing. I don't know what the answer is. But – this sort of but so compare the the excuses that this woman uh, were, that were generated for this woman compared to what the media thinks of say John Boner right the guy who's um, uh, who's this, I guess up until today was standing up against the Obamacare and and uh, was uh, putting um, uh, was was not leading the charge to refuse to raise the debt ceiling and so on mm-hmm. right. Well, he, you know, was called Supposedly. evil, nasty, monstrous, and so on, right? Yeah. So, I mean, why can't he be suffering from depression or mental health issues or anxiety and be excused from his behavior, right? Why does he get this complete get out of jail? Like, why does he get condemned by everyone in the media, uh, or at least lots of people in the media, whereas this other woman who puts a baby in a hail of bullets way is immediately excused? Uh, anyway, it's just, I, I just want people to have a consistent standard. If someone does something you don't like, then just immediately start making up excuses for it. And um, oh, wh- for why sure. isn't that a consistent I, I get, standard? I, I think I get what you're saying on that anyway i just in in other shows you've talked about you know how about the you know everybody's has forces that have shaped them right and you Mm -hmm. were talking about how it's you know not really status fault that they're status because it's all they've ever been taught yeah yeah yeah, and that's you why know? when we spread philosophy, we are spreading responsibility. We are spreading yes. moral accountability. I mean, if all you've ever known is hitting your kids, I mean, you do have the experience of having been kid, hit as a kid. I can't imagine people who were never spanked end up as spankers. Uh, so you have that self-empathy to recognize how terrible it was. But I have more sympathy to people who've never been exposed to any arguments to the contrary. It's becoming a little less believable these days because it's been – 50, 60 years since it's been pretty roundly opposed in, in lots of parenting literature. Yeah, and certainly with the internet yeah. now, it's been 20 years, the internet's had some real real force in society and, and uh, so on. So, But um, yeah, so people resist, they don't want you to tell, they, they don't want you to tell them stuff, because then they have a responsibility that they didn't have before. This is one of the reasons why people avoid knowledge and why people avoid philosophers in philosophy. It creates a, a moral muscle that wasn't there before, that people uh, have responsibilities that they didn't have before. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, I- anyone who claims that they know something good about how to raise human beings or what's good for society and so on, you know, sorry, you've now just put yourself in position uh, of being a doctor. I mean, you, you're a self-proclaimed expert, not you, but someone who does that <laughs> is a self-proclaimed expert on how children should be raised and, and how society should be run and how we should help the poor, the sick, and so on. Okay, well, fine. So now you're putting yourself in position. You're hanging out your shingle as a doctor. Well, do you know what doctors do? They go to medical school. <laughs> they uh, go to weekend trainings. They, they have to read the, the latest journals. They, they are regularly tested by their boards and by their certifying agencies and so on. And so they really have to study and know stuff. And so I just think that uh, how society is run is even more important than how people are doctored because that how society is run 
uh, includes how people are doctored and, and so many other things. So my sort of issue is if mm -hmm. people want to put themselves out as how society should be run and how children should be raised and so on, then do do the research. Uh, otherwise, you are a, a fraud because you're putting opinions out about how things should be with no uh, knowledge or, or research about how things should be. And that is uh, very toxic. Um, so that's, that's sort of a willful. That's willful and ignorance, really, which is the worst kind of ignorance when when you do well, it knowingly. Well, sorry, or... it's not quite willful ignorance. Like I'm I'm willfully ignorant on how to do a tracheotomy. Like I'm sure I could figure <laughs> yeah. it out. At some point, I'm willfully ignorant. I'm not studying it. But you know what? I don't try to do tracheotomies. Yeah. Right. I'm willfully ignorant on, you know, how to pull a tooth. In, in a pain-free way, so I don't go around pulling people's teeth. So, but the moment people start talking about how society should be run and, and how children should be raised, then they are claiming expertise in some essential, essential areas of life. More important than doctoring, more important than physics, more, right? I mean, if I claimed I knew everything about physics and then it turned out I'd never cracked open a physics book, then people would call me a, a retarded bullshit artist, <laughs> you know, <laughs> however nicely they might put it. They would, you know, just say, well, you're, you're just completely full of shit, right? Sorry. Uh, and, and you're a fraud and so on, right? So the people, people who put themselves forward uh, as knowledgeable need to be cross-examined on their level of expertise. This is exactly what Socrates did, right? As you probably know the story, he went to the oracle at Delphi and the oracle – he asked the oracle at Delphi, who's the wisest man? And the oracle said to Socrates, well, you are the wisest man, my dear Socrates. And Socrates said, well, that can't be the case. <laughs> I don't know anything. I mean, I, I'm, I don't really know much of anything at all. And so he said, well, the article's got to be wrong. So he went and he cross-examined all the wise people, all the greatest teachers, all the philosophers of his time. And he found that they, in fact, didn't really know anything either. They just pretended to know stuff. <laughs> and then he said, oh, I get it. I get it. The article was right. Because I know that I don't know anything. But these people think that they know something, but they actually don't. And so I'm the wisest man because I know the limits of my knowledge and these other people are pontificating about all these things but when you ask them three questions in a row they can't answer you and so this is the oldest you know people who claim knowledge okay well let's find out if you really know what you're saying and this is why doctors have licensing requirements this is why lawyers have to pass the bar oh you say you know the law well let's find out oh you say you know how to spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious let's find out with a spelling bee oh you say you know math okay he, let's have a test this is all I was taught when I was a kid is it's not enough to claim knowledge you have to prove that you know something and so this is what I do and you of course find that the vast majority of people claim they know how to raise children claim they know how society should be run but can't put two coherent thoughts together and, but then uh, it send is their kids to uh, indoctrination centers eight hours a day and don't really have anything to do with raising their own children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or they, uh, <laughs> uh, or they will um, you know, spank their children and say, "Well, this is what has to be done. This is the best parenting that you can conceive of." And uh, so it's okay. Oh, well, I'll... I... Sorry. What I always hear from people is, "I was spanked and I turned out okay," and I really hate that. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, but of course, you know, since spanking reduces IQ, it's it's the very faculty that would have pointed out that they're not okay that got spanked away, right? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so do you mind if you don't have any other specific questions? And again, yeah. I mean, 
Very sorry to hear about I your father. I know we've got a lot of people on the line. Thank you so much for your time and, and uh, your answers. I really appreciate it. Can I make a joke about your name? I know, I know you get so many <laughs> jokes about your name. Do you mind if I just oh, add yeah. one, yeah. one you've probably already heard before? Karma, I heard you were a bitch, but you're actually quite nice. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Karma's the bitch right. only if you are, so. Yeah, exactly. Oh. I really bitch occasionally, but really. So thank you very much for calling in. And Mike, if we can move on to the next caller. Bye, All right, Tony. Ivan, you're up next, Ivan. Yeah, hello. Hi, Ivan. How are you doing? Hey, hello, Stefan. <laughs> hey, um, I'm calling from Australia. Um, so I'm a little bit nervous. I could poop my pants at any time. So you're aware of that? <laughs> um, I hope you're sitting down. And I hope you're sitting <laughs> on the porcelain throne, just in case. <laughs> um, first, I just wanted to express a bit of gratitude. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for about, I think, six years or so now. And um, it's helped me a lot with That's dealing great. with situations with my family. And like I used to uh, occasionally you know, spank my nieces and nephews for doing something that I thought wasn't right. But then I realized that wasn't the right way to approach things. And so as they grew older, I uh, dealt with them in a different way, like uh, with communication, uh, not with any like force tactics to kind of control situations or help them deal with things. And did you, that led well, to first being of all, congratulations. Called... But second of all, did you, uh, did you apologize by chance? Uh, you know, I haven't had the guts to do that just yet. Do it. Uh, Come on. You know, apologies. <laughs> people respect apologies. I don't know if you've ever had anybody really apologize to you, but I never think of that person as, as weak. I think it's uh, I think it's a very courageous and, and strong thing to do. Yeah, um, I think I should do that. Um, I mean, one, one of them in particular said, like, I was a great uncle. <laughs> so that was good to get that feedback from them. Like, I actually do ask them for feedback. Which is yep, kind of funny because, great. like, their parents, like, it's kind of like night and day with the way I treat them and the way with their parents treat them. Right. So, yeah, I've always thought it can give them a good comparison with the different types of, uh, I guess, people in general. You know, like that there is good other options. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to talk about was um, the central question: is uh, why aren't I doing the things that I want to do? So. Uh, I think I've had a, a, I think a large problem with not so much uh, motivation to do things, but like actually starting to do things and following through. through <laughs> you mean like, times. like for instance, did you listen to a show for six years before calling in? Is that is that sort of what you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're back when I was doing stuff in the car or something like that, right? I mean, uh, but yeah. uh, is it is it that? Because I mean, if you've had this issue for a while, you I mean, you've obviously known about call-in shows, and it's been six years, right? Yeah, no, that's very true, and um, right. it kind of hit me a lot more these last couple of days because I tried to call in on Sunday, right? And I couldn't get through because there was too many people. So I was just randomly searching the forums uh, for Tony Robbins, funnily enough. And I came across this thread which had a podcast in it. And I listened to that podcast and it was basically talking about my situation, but in like 2009. Mm. And I had, li I had, like, I had like deja vu because I remember listening to this podcast 
and like here I am still with the same types of problems like I guess what do you want to do that you're not doing um, or do you not know what you want to do well I'll give you one real example now um, I'm interested in modifying cars so I'm trying to start my own uh, business um, just at home and I've got one customer and I can't seem to actually like like it's starting to get hard you know what I mean like I have to really sit down and try to figure things out and I've got like this this feeling inside of me which is like I just want to give everything up like like I have what sorry what's getting hard I don't know much about what you do okay so um, I'm putting in a different type of computer than what's come standard in the car so to do that you need to redo uh, the wiring in the car and like start up start from the ground up in terms of um, tuning the car I don't know if that means anything to you or not not a huge um, amount but I, I, I understand that it's difficult right yeah yeah so now I've, I've come across a few problems where uh, it's like it's a bit it's hard for me to figure out and I'm just having difficulty with maybe like accepting the fact that I have to put in the effort um, to get this done. Like it's going to take and me many hours. And can you do hours. it, do you think? I mean, is it is it more than you can do in any reasonable or profitable time frame or is it something you can do if you have to? Um, I think I could do it. Um in it doesn't the, the time frame is not well I mean this guy wants me to do it as soon as possible and it's kind of creating a bit of stress because he wants it done as soon as possible but I can't like I don't know mentally go through the steps to get it done in the time frame he wants you're not answering my question sorry yeah <laughs> is it something sorry. that like so if somebody said to me you know re rewrite Windows 8 in Java I'd be like well, I can't do that Right, it's like sixty million lines of code. Like I just I can't do it. Whereas you know, if somebody said, uh, you know, I need you to create me a website or whatever, like yeah, I can do that, right? So yeah, is um, it something you can do uh, if you apply yourself and and you know if you have to work sixteen hours a day, it might take a week or two. I mean, is it something you can do, or is it something that you can't reasonably do? Uh, it's something that I can do. Uh, with that example, yeah. Okay, so. Usually, when we have voluntarily accepted a commitment, we procrastinate because we now resent the commitment that we have voluntarily taken on. In other words, what we chose, we now feel is imposed upon us, and we resist it. Does, does that make any sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. You, did you laugh? I wasn't sure if that was that, was that an accurate yeah, enough statement. Yeah, it's very accurate. That's, that's kind of why I'm laughing. Okay. Okay. So, um, so what what happens is we no longer own the commitments that we've made, and what we do is we then pretend to ourselves that it has been imposed upon us against our will without our participation, and that stokes fires of uh, procrastination, avoidance, and resentment. Right. And so what that generally means is that as a, a younger man. You had obligations imposed upon you that you couldn't negotiate and that you couldn't shuck off 
And so you passive aggressively would grudgingly do them badly or late or whatever, right? So you've got, you know, probably from your family, it could have been, of course, from your from your school or other things, right? But uh, this idea that you own your commitments, that they are yours, is something that you can slip out of. And I would assume that's because you had a lot of history of things being imposed upon you that you couldn't get out of and didn't want and couldn't negotiate about. Does that, does that resonate at all? Does it make any sense or am I on the wrong path? No, that pretty much sums up uh, my childhood. Um, like, like I was saying through your podcast, I was able to reach a few like milestones in like, I guess personal development, which is like when I was younger, um, my, like you said, my parents would impose things on me. Like they basically made me play soccer when I was younger, you know, right. for five to 10 years, whatever. And my, I mean, I can see it now in my parents and how they treat my nieces and nephews. They never take into consideration what they want. It always has to be what, how they, how my parents want, want to do things. You know what so I mean? So basically you're saying that, <laughs> Brusque, semi-totalitarian Australian parents. You know, I, I think that's kind of a template, isn't it? I mean, for at least for what I've, you know, I'm sure your parents are not. I don't mean to laugh because I, I mean this is your personal experience, but there is something in the air or the water or the criminal-based history. I don't know what it is, but it's not the first time I've heard this. Uh, I think South African parents uh, are sort of similar, but anyway, that's uh, uh, neither yeah, here nor there. But um, but yeah, so stuff was imposed and you weren't allowed to really negotiate and you just do it, damn it, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so recently, because I've been thinking for myself more so, my dad's basically saying like, I don't know who you are anymore kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I keep right. fighting back. Because he knew who you uh, were when you were obeying orders, right? Which were you were an extension <laughs> of his preferences, right? A grudgingly... Yeah semi-broken robot of scant rebellion uh, who who um, uh, would sort of float around misdoing things uh, out of uh, resentment, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'd, like, I guess what I wanted to know more was like, uh, like solutions to the problem. You know, like I'm willing to, because I work from home or I'm trying to do this at home, I realize... And home is your home day, or your parents' home? Uh, I live with my parents at the moment. Um, and how old are you? And 25. And why do you live with your parents? <laughs> so I'm not saying you shouldn't. Gonna... I'm just, you know, if you yeah. said 15, I'd be like, yeah. And if you said 25, I'd be like, huh? Yeah, I know. I mean, could I be self-sabotaging myself in a way? Like, no, like I kind of... no, no. The question is, why are you living with your parents? And we get onto the complexities about what's your... Why, are you still in school? Or, I mean, I guess not if you're fixing cars and all, right? But so why why are you living with the parents? Um, are there no jobs? Are there? Um... No, there is jobs, and I've had lots of opportunities really to uh, like eventually make money. Like I worked as a IT consultant a few years ago um, mm. with IBM products, so like. Oh, so that's a pretty good job, right? I mean, not not shabby coin, right? Yeah, no, there was a lot of potential there to make a lot of money. What but happened? I decided, yeah, I decided to quit that job 
because I felt that I was kind of selling out in a way. Like what your show yes, really helped me realize it's, was that. It's the market, right? You're supposed to sell out. <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Because uh, I, I don't know what you – maybe you were building – I don't know, uh, bunker buster, uh, torture bombs. I don't know. Uh, but what were you, do- what were you doing that you felt was a seller? So if I have like one life kind of thing, or I have this time on the earth, um, I could choose to maybe, uh, not, not work with IBM products and do something that's maybe related to what you're doing, like parenting or, um, uh, stuff like that that is more valuable like yeah apparently it's not like, a job right yeah I guess maybe teaching others how to parent properly like say my sisters and brothers like the concepts that you talk about they don't know anything about so how can I uh, figure out a way to get them to find this information okay well let's say that you sorry to interrupt Let's say that yeah. you quit IBM because you wanted to do these glorious other things, which you know I think yeah. is fine. Why aren't you doing them? Because you're fixing cars, right? Yeah, see, so that was uh, another passion of mine when I was growing up. Um, and I'm kind of like thinking, what do I really want? Like, do I want to modify these cars? And that's one direction I can take. Or do I want to do something like what Stefan's doing? Or try to do, and that's another direction. Like, I feel like I can't do both, or I've tried to do multiple things, but yeah, look, you are, yeah. you are, uh, um, <laughs> sorry to interrupt, but from the other side of about 35,000 hours invested into what I do, yeah, when people say, Well, maybe I'll just dip into doing what Steph does, it's like, you know, maybe I'll just dip into concert pianing for a while you know <laughs> and then maybe i'll become an architect of museums and then right you, you, you can't just sort of dip into this right i mean i'm not saying you can't do it but if you want to do it then you you just start reading and you start writing and you just you, you know in the same way if you want to sort of oh steph's a great concert pianist i'd like to be a concert pianist well you know what to do you get a piano you get a teacher you practice like crazy and you don't never stop right yeah that's right so I think that you may like in this in this haze of all is possible, you are inevitably going to feel resentment, right? Yeah, makes sense. Right, like m- maybe I'll just teach people how to parent. Well, maybe you should, or maybe you could, but there are very specific steps that you would need to take to do that, right? Mm-hmm. You'd need to read a whole crap load of books on parenting. You may need to take some courses. You certainly would want to set up uh, conversations with experts in the field. Uh, however, you could uh, manage that. You would really work to to become an expert in that area, and it would take a long time, right? Yeah. And you know, I'm sure credentials wouldn't hurt, uh, and so on, right? Yeah. And so you probably are setting yourself up for resentment if you don't understand how long it takes. Or you, I mean, you get it, right? But but to to become good at stuff takes a long, long, long time, mm. right? Like, I mean, people write like a thousand songs before they write a great song, right? The Beatles played for like what a year or two in Hamburg, 
eight hours a day. They, they played more in those two years than most bands played in their entire career. And that's one of the reasons why they were able to produce this amazing pop phonic original uh, stuff that they did in the 60s and so on, right? So, yeah. uh, but, but if you think, well, like I'm just going to dip into this, you know, maybe I'll just do what Steph does or whatever. And you don't start saying, okay, well, okay, so maybe I'll climb, climb Mount Everest, right? Like I'm not just going to show up in my track pants at base camp and start walking, right? Mm-hmm. I'm climb Mount Everest. I got to, you know, drag uh, tires across the tundra for six months. I've got to, you know, do gruesomely heavy weights and oh, I, whatever it is. I don't know what the hell people do to prepare for that, but I know it's a big preparation <laughs> deal, right? <laughs> So if you're in a blur of, I could do this, I could do that, and so on, without recognizing that whatever you do is going to be a lot of hard work, a lot of commitment, a lot of challenge, and what it's going to do is it's going to provoke all of your resentment because you're going to feel that that challenge is imposed upon you, not something that you have voluntarily chosen and I'm going to, and are going to see through. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. So, how to break the cycle? Right? Yeah. Um, is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> I don't know, but it, I, I feel like I'm bleeding your entire life energy out of this. Co- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying to... It's, it's just funny because I'm listening Thank to you for my so tasty long. soul. I must move on to the next caller and bleed them dry too, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I think how I'm interpreting what you're saying is there's choices that like I'm making for for myself. So this car, like I've made a choice to uh, want to do this thing, and now I should look at it as more as a um like it's mine. Like I own that choice, and I'm responsible to all of the um, surrounding things that happen with it. You know, like dealing with the customer or having to sit down for 16 hours a day and trying to um, work it out. Like, I'm responsible for that. Like, my parents are not... Well, or you can say no, to... right? You can just hand the guy's car back and say, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Right? Like, every day I can get up, I can say, you know what? I don't want to do this philosophy show anymore. I'm going to become a mime or a Chippendales dancer again or whatever, right? Yeah. Right? But, okay. you know... It's up to me. I don't have to stay married. Uh, I can do what my dad did and move to the other side of the world and never see my daughter. I mean, I I can do any of these things. I can hang up this show right now and uh, go and climb uh, a tree if I want. Right? Everything remains a choice. Yeah. Um, I I have watched that um, procrastination video you did a while back. Yeah. Like, you do what you want to do kind of thing. But... You have to suffer the consequences, you know, if... Well, not suffer. I mean, that's all consequences are not suffering, right? I mean, I'm actually quite enjoying this conversation. I don't feel like climbing a tree right now. I would rather talk to you. Yeah, okay. Right, of all the things I could be doing in the world right now, this is what I want to be doing, because if I wasn't, if I didn't, I'd be doing something else, right? I guess that works with me too, right? So whatever feelings or emotions I had, before this conversation, like excitement, um, was the unknown kind of thing. Watery um, bowels, if I remember the opening yeah, of the conversation correctly. 
not just yet. <laughs> um, you know, like maybe com- compare how I felt before this conversation and what I'm doing now to like apply those same feelings to doing other things, if that makes any sense. Like, <laughs> that sounds uh, that sounds entirely unactionable, <laughs> right? If I just apply, uh, I just so I just need to exercise and 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 eat better to lose weight. Well, yeah, but that's easier said than done, right? Um, well, just, just sorry, just on that, um, like last year, middle of last year, I actually did lose about fifteen kilos of fat that I've been wow. holding on to me for like five, six years. Um, Good for you. And just to throw a curveball at you, um, I'm actually like I've never had a girlfriend before, and huh. and I've only kissed one girl ever, and yeah, obviously I'm still a virgin. Um, You're totally blowing my stereotype of guys who work with cars. I thought <laughs> I thought guys who worked with cars just like, like rolling. We're not in as it. cool but as anyway. you think. <laughs> No, I guess um, not. Like, it's true. I am the lead singer of a rock band, but I'm a virgin. Anyway, <laughs> right? Yeah, so it's a Christian I, rock band. Right. Um, I didn't. I guess I brought that up just because I think what you're saying with choice and and owning things um, for what they are. Um, like I, I have not been doing that in relationships in the past. So not doing that at all. No, I get it. It's in everything. Right. So let me let yeah. me take the helm, if you don't mind, for just a second. Ask you a couple of pointed yeah. questions. Who benefits from you staying Thanks. a child in your life? Uh, like parents and people around me, that have, my family, that kind of thing. Well, <laughs> don't tell me like you're asking me. This is your life, right? Oh. Uh, I'm asking you that direct question. And let me tell, let me tell you why I'm asking. I don't want to trick you or anything like that. Yeah. Is that if my daughter were 25 years old and had never kissed a boy, I couldn't be happier. No, if my daughter was 25 years old and had never had any kind of romantic relationship, I mean, I, it would never get to that point. Yeah. It would never get to that point because I would want her to have the joys of romantic and sexual love as an adult, right? Mm-hmm. And I want grandchildren, lots of them. So... If she was living at home, 25, had quit quit a job and was kind of half doing this car thing or whatever, I would never get to that point because I would strongly intervene and figure out what was going wrong long before that ever came to be. Yep. It's important to understand Alex, that you are in your life where everyone in your life wants you to be. Because if they didn't want you to be there, they would have intervened. This is true in general. You are in your life where everybody who's in your life wants you to be. Because if they didn't want you to be there, they would have done something to change it. So my question is, why is everyone around you satisfied? If my daughter put on 15 kilos, it would never get to that point, right? Yep. Because 
I would intervene as soon as I saw her gaining weight and we would figure out what was actually going on, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I ask, who in your life benefits from you staying in a childlike state? Having a hobby like fixing cars, not having uh, dates, not kissing women uh, and so on, right? And still living at home at the age of 25 with no particular prospects or future. That's the life of somebody who's like eight, eight or nine or 10 years old. And I don't mean by that that you're immature or anything like that. It's just there's a, a stuckness to, to this, right? Yeah. So when people don't intervene when things are going wrong in your life, it's because they prefer that things go wrong with your life. Whether it's conscious or not, I'm just telling you. Yeah. Everyone who calls into this show is telling me something very important by the simple act of calling into this show. And I don't mean that this makes people problematic or uh, it, it tells me that, that that talking to me is the greatest possibility of a meaningful conversation that they can have. Right? Yeah. And I, I don't mean that in any critical way whatsoever at all, because these kinds of important conversations are tragically rare in life, right? Yep. You should have uh, people around you who are intervening, who are listening, who are trying to figure things out, who are curious, who are under, trying to understand your experience, who are listening to your history, who are examining your possibilities and your ways of thinking and you should have people around you who have who have taught you how to achieve uh, what it is that you want to achieve and and so on i'm sorry that you don't i'm really really sorry that you don't but the fact seems to be that you don't no that's true thanks for that as well so who benefits and why from you remaining in this state Well, not me, for one thing. Uh, I would say the people around me, um, because it must uh, do something for them in some way. Uh, uh-huh. Like control over someone else, or because I'm not, uh, because I'm being prevented from living my life to the fullest, or whatever they get satisfaction from that to the fullest yeah i would say it's a little further back than that but yes right <laughs> right uh that's all i can think of at the moment does your father view himself as superior to you yes <laughs> of course why did i know that he, was going to be the case he uh he owns the house he's not He's smarter than me, whatever. Uh, I shouldn't be giving him advice. And, um, yeah. Right. I think because... Yeah, go on, sorry. No, 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 you go ahead. I think um, because something major happened to him in his 40s. Like, my parents are both nearly 70. And both of them have... Uh, Both what? Major back... Both of them are nearly 70. Yeah. Nearly 70, okay, right. Yeah, and both of them had 
major back problems where my dad was nearly paralyzed at around, yeah, late 30s, that kind of thing, late 40s. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry, early 40s. And maybe in a sense, like, because he wasn't given the opportunity to live out that part of his life, like, because he was in a good job, he was going somewhere, he was going to buy multiple properties, whatever, and that was cut short for him, that... Yeah, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't no? give your dad the excuse of a back injury. I'm yeah. sorry, I just, I can't do it, because that would be causal, right? So a back injury means that he can't be like a bricklayer. And all people who have those kinds of back injuries can't be bricklayers. Yeah. But there's nothing in an injury that dictates a person's emotional or personal reaction or how they treat other people in their life. There's nothing in an injury that does that. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Uh, right. a, 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 a hurt back does not alter the brain physically, does not remove free will, does not remove moral responsibility. Otherwise, it'd be like, oh, you're drunk driving. Oh, you've had a hurt back. Okay, well then keep driving. Oh, you have a hurt back. Did you rob a bank? Oh, that's no, you got a hurt back. You got no moral responsibility. So no, I can't... Uh, now, if you yeah. said he had a brain tumor, that'd be a different matter, right? But, but this is not, uh, that's not enough, right? And are you no, saying, fair, fair. so I guess this, you would have been very young at that point, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Like, so my, he's had time parents... to get over it, is what I'm saying. He's had time to adjust, <laughs> right? Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm sorry, yeah. I just, I can't, I can't get there. With, you know, without, without, you know, if I say that, then all the people who are nice guys with back injuries are going to email me and say, well, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, that, that uh, back injuries turn you into this kind of person. I'm not that, right? You understand? Yeah. yeah. Um, so like. And, and sorry, just because your father yeah. didn't get what he wanted does not mean that he is then in, automatically invested in you not getting what you want. Quite the opposite is the case. Do you think I had the peaceful and happy and loving childhood that I wanted? Of course not. Quite the opposite. Does that mean that I am now dedicated to denying my daughter that same thing? Of course not. He may be. Listen, uh, when I wasn't uh, you know, more than six or seven years older than you, my life took a really severe turn for the worst in terms of my physical abilities. So you better, uh, I better help you get out there and get what you want in life because you don't know how long you're going to stay healthy. So do it now and let me help you. Mm. Okay, yeah, <laughs> he didn't think like that. Um. No, I guess he didn't. So if you have people around you who are invested in you being smaller than they are, particularly if it's unconscious, then they will take whatever steps are necessary to keep you whatever size makes them feel bigger. Yeah. Can I just mention one thing? Um, is it possible sure. that the, peop the people that have tried to make me bigger than I can be and if those relationships had ended badly then that's not not like really bad but you know whatever if you've they rejected ended, people who want to help build you up yeah does that, that would be because it threatens your it threatens your 
uh, hierarchy with your father. It would be your father who would want that to be the case, not you. Oh, wow. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense now. Because, you know, all those people were bad to my fa- from my father's opinion, you know? Yeah, like, anyone who can build some... you up, somebody who's invested in being bigger than you, anyone who could build them up, they'll, they'll just be torn down by whoever, right? You understand, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense now. Okay. Yeah, like the mom who wants to keep the kid, the, the son home because she doesn't have a husband, right? Single mom wants to keep the son home. I mean, is she going to be enthusiastic about him going out and dating? Is she going to be enthusiastic about any girl he's interested in? Of course not. You're going to sabotage that. And he'll internalize that because, you know, we can't fight our parents. I mean, they're just all powerful all the time. This is why they're so dangerous if they go bad, right? If if they don't have our genuine best interests at heart. You you simply can't fight parents. You can't. They're they're too big. They're too powerful. They loom too large in your consciousness and your unconscious. Mm. So uh, I would focus not on myself. I would focus on whose needs am I conforming to by staying where I am. Okay. Who needs me to stay here? Who's satisfied if I'm here? Well, it's everyone who didn't intervene with you being here. It's everyone who hasn't talked about, hey, Alex, are you not dating? I mean, what's you don't find any girls attractive? What's going on? Or boys, or goats, I don't care, whatever, right? Ripe watermelons in a field, whatever gets you goat going, right? I mean, everyone who hasn't said, listen, this is a, a, you know, there are two things that Freud says you need to be happy, uh, productive work, meaningful work, and romantic or sexual love, and uh, you're not finding either of those, so let's figure out how to get you. Everyone who hasn't done that is invested in you being exactly where you are, and you, like an ancient Aztec kid, are throwing yourself on the altar of parental preferences, of parental expectations, of parental irrational needs, and sacrificing yourself for that. And your life uh, and your days are ticking away into sand and ashes and nothingness, and you're serving the needs of other people who need you to stay small, I would imagine. And uh, they don't get any bigger, you just keep getting smaller. And you can do that if you want, right? You can do that. And we're programmed to do that. I hope you understand. Right? We're we're programmed. I I, I dated a woman when I was uh, becoming an entrepreneur. I was in a relationship. I was living with a woman. I was in a relationship with a woman. And we met in college, and I was broke and working all these jobs and all this kind of stuff and just struggling to keep it together and all that. And and then we we graduated, and and, uh, we were on again, off again for a while. Anyway, so she got a job as a secretary. She wanted to be doing something else. doesn't really matter what, something much better, but she got a job, a job as a secretary. I remember when she, when she saw my first office, right? And I, so I co-founded this company. We grew it. We bought offices and all that. And she came to my office and she said, oh, that's a great view of the parking lot. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, my God, it's really cold. Right. And, and, and she would continually tell me, you know, like how to live my life and what I should do and this and that and the other. And, and I, I remember saying to her at one point, I said, you know, I'm a chief technical officer and you're still a secretary. So why is it that you're telling me all about how I should live again? Because if you knew so much about how to live, why are you a secretary? If you know so much 
about what everyone should do and what I should do and, and how everyone should live their lives. Why is your life so claustrophobic and constricted? If, if Why am I pursuing something that I love, that I'm incredibly excited to be doing? I mean, I started working with computers when I was 11. I inherited $1,000 from my grandmother. And I just, but what would, what would an 11 or 12-year-old kid do? Well, I turned around and bought a computer, learned how to program it. I was programming for a living. It was joyful, exciting, fantastic. I was uh, traveling. I mean, gosh, it was amazing. Traveling to all these, I went to Hawaii, to, to France, to, to, to China for business. It was, a, it was a complete dream come true. It was astounding, wonderful, terrifying at times, but incredible. And, you know, she's like a, a secretary uh, t- 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 telling me all about how I should live and what I should do and trying to micromanage my every waking moment. And my success and me, me pointing out that I was, I, was, I was actually doing something that, I, I, that, that was amazing to me and that, that was challenging and was genuinely incredibly difficult. And she was uh, t- typing. <laughs> right. And at some point, it is revealed when you achieve things. It is revealed that those around you who've been telling you all about how to live and, and how great they are and how little you know and how much you should listen to them, if you actually achieve things, the true smallness in the relationship is revealed. And our relationship did not last much at all beyond that conversation because it's like I just woke up from a dream. It was like I just, I just shook my head and just woke up from this slow, drip, drip, stalagmite, deep cave, soft, dusty little nightmare of tiny lives and tiny people who have no capacity to look at their own lives with any kind of objectivity, but all they do is tell everyone else how the other people should live. And if you listen to small people about what you should do with your life, if you serve the narcissistic needs of people to shore up their shaky secondhand pseudo-confidence, at the expense of your future, your life, your love, your passions, your intelligence, your capacities, your dreams, your desires, your joy. Then you are taking a great and golden beast and sacrificing it to a god of gnats. To a deity of mosquitoes. To an altar that is just a dusty old shelf in an abandoned building. And you get nothing in return. And so I would definitely look at the degree to which those around you are actually interested and committed to your success and your happiness. And as an empiricist, you have, unfortunately, 25 years of evidence under your belt, so it shouldn't be that hard to find. And if people around you, if you're living with people who are dedicated to 
keeping you small to make themselves feel bigger, to feeling superior to you and smarter than you and better than you and wiser than you and whatever. You will never be able to grow bigger than the people around you want you to be. You will never be able to grow bigger than the people around you want you to be. So you have to look with a very cold and critical eye at the people around you and say, okay, well, if they know so much, do I want the lives they have? Well, if not, and I sure as hell hope that if you become a father, you will be dedicated to your son's success and happiness. You've got to take a cold, critical look at the people around you and figure out if they're in your corner or not. Because whether you're serving the little needs of little people or developing a grand life of your own design, your days drip away regardless. So I would know which choice I would make, but tell me what you think. That makes a lot of sense, Stefan. Um, yeah, I think it gives me something to work with as well. Like, you know, that's, that's a good solution that you gave me kind of thing. Um, so I'll definitely do that. And I'm already thinking of certain things I can do already to kind of figure stuff out, you know. And um, I mean, just quickly, I mean, should I move out kind of thing? Like, I think. Well, you see, that's the problem, about... right? It's that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not somebody who could tell you that. I don't think anyone should tell you yeah. that. I think therapy would be great. I think self-knowledge would be great. I think talking to your parents uh, about how the hell did I end up in this situation if you all are supposed to be so dedicated to my happiness? You know, and if they say, well, you know, you, you don't listen and so on, well, right? When, when people ah, – sorry, I know this is supposed to be a shorter call, but I just really want to get this across to you. Uh, people will always try and make their effect on you your business. Right? So people, oh, you don't listen. It's like, well, who are you that I don't listen to you? How are you communicating so that I don't listen to you? Right, right. right yeah. It's really important to put things back on people. That doesn't mean absolve yourself of responsibility, but the beautiful thing about being the child of a parent is you have almost no responsibility as to how that relationship goes. Because your parent is the parent. They define everything. You didn't invent your own language. Uh, they told you exactly what to say. You didn't invent your own emotional interactions. That is uh, what they did. You didn't invent your own religion or your own culture. That is what they communicated across to you, right? Yep. No. Well, uh, you know, I just, I just don't think you're that smart. It's like, well, who were you as a parent that I ended up not so smart? Well, maybe it's just genetic. Well, if it's genetic, then how come you, you put me down for it? You wouldn't put me down for being short, would you? Because that's genetic, I would assume. Right? So just you keep pushing things back on people. Because people will always try and give you 100% responsibility for 99% of what they created. Especially parents. Dysfunctional parents. Not all parents, right? Mm. Uh, cool. Um, My daughter is like a tuning fork. You know, like whatever I do, she hums along with. It doesn't mean she doesn't. She disagrees with me a lot. She has her own will, but that's only because that's something I encourage and allow. And I know if I was a, a hard-handed, uh, uh, yelling, you know, smoky-nosed kind of dad, then she would bow down to that because that's what kids do: is they adapt to their environment. Kids adapt to their environment. You adapt it to your parents. And they will try and tell you that it's all you. Which is exactly like a sculptor standing back from the sculpture he's finished and saying, God, that sculpture is ugly. I can't believe. Whoever made that sculpt? I mean, that's terrible. 
It's like, you just made that. How could you insult something that you just made without insulting yourself and taking no ownership? Anyway, so I just wanted to point that out. I think therapy, self-knowledge, all that kind of stuff would be great. But um, uh, definitely, certainly, if your parents are older, I think it's important to sit down and talk to them and say, okay, mom, dad, how did I end up in this situation? And they'll try and tell you that you're responsible for your, for your life, 100% responsible for your life. In which case, you can say, well, okay, so you, you, what, are you saying that you had no impact on me, no influence on me whatsoever? No. Okay, well, then we are strangers. Because you had me for 25 years and you had no impact on me whatsoever, no influence over me whatsoever. And if you did have influence over me, then you have some ownership in where I am. And so what did you do that helped contribute to where I am? Well, nothing. I told you everything to do, but you didn't listen. Well, who were you that I didn't listen to you? And why didn't you try saying it in a different way so that I would listen? Anyway, I think those are the conversations that would be helpful to have. Yep. Uh, All right. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, Stefan. Thanks for the call. Um, Let me know how it goes if you can. Right. Yeah. Please do. Please. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks, Stefan. Welcome. All right, Joseph, you're up next. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, how are you doing, Stefan? I am well. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm enjoying the show thus far. Good. All right. Well, um, uh, before I ask you uh, my questions, I want to commend you first for your um, debate with Peter Joseph. Um, that was uh, pretty impressive uh, how you dealt with him. Uh, he Tell honestly... me what you mean. I, I'm not trying to necessarily dig for compliments, but uh, oh, what, okay. uh, what part are you referring to or what did you mean? Well, um, I'll be honest. There was uh, that particular moment where he was committing ad hominems and ad lapidems uh, towards your arguments, just calling them like – Oh, this is oh, truncated and simplistic and bloody blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. The simplistic thing. I like the way that you handled him. Um, I thought it was very. Um, you were, you know, you stood up. You stood up for that sort of rhetoric, and uh, I, I particularly liked that. Uh, but, and you can be sorry. Committed. Just pointed. I mean, the the reason I think that was useful. I think the intellectual content of the debate was not particularly useful, but I hoped that it was some example of how you can be assertive without being aggressive, right? You can stand right. up for yourself without getting enraged or calling people names, or but just simply identifying something for what it is. Like, stop telling me I'm wrong and start showing me that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know what I did actually? I I started uh, writing down some of the um some of the uh, logical fallacies that he would commit. And I don't know if you didn't realize it, but he was just committing so many uh, mm. logical fallacies one after another. I, I, I had like a list written down with like examples of where he would commit them. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> you should, uh, you should post them. I mean, really? post them or, or send okay. them up to us. I mean, and again, I don't want to dig on the guy. I mean, you know, obviously he's a guy who, uh, has a lot of words and you know like i don't want to dig on the guy but but what i want to you know it is important that people understand what a debate is and, and what's going on you know like right. I, i've said to mike uh, i need to do a show on the socratic method because people accuse me of interrupting and nitpicking it's like no if, if somebody says the free market promotes mass murder th then right. asking him to show how that's not a nitpick i mean the guy's fucking talking about mass murder for christ's sake yeah to ask him how that occurs is kind of important 
It's it's not mm-hmm. nitpicking. Mass. I mean, if if mass murder is nitpicking, what is not nitpicking? Planetary genocide, uh, the death of the solar system, the end of time and space. Is, we, is that not nitpicking? Anyway, so <laughs> just wanted to point that out. Yeah. And of course, he never answered the question because. Uh, mm-hmm. to, and, and it's cowardly, right? If, if you're going to, and of course, since I participated in the free market, or at least, and and since I advocate the free market, he's saying that I both participate and advocate in a system of mass murder. Well, mm-hmm. that's a profound an insult as you can possibly make. He's not just saying like I'm a bad guy. He's saying that I advocate and participate in a system of mass murder. I mean, he's calling me like uh, somebody who. Who runs con- like is interest like runs concentration camps and and slaughters mass murder? This is what I'm involved in and advocate. So yes, I'm going to ask them what the hell he means by that. But he didn't. He never told me, of course, because well, for obvious right. reasons. But anyway, right. Well, I you know I still respected him after the bait, but I lost all respect <laughs> for him after wait, wait. I saw his. I still have respect for him, but then I saw his follow-up video on the debate, and then I lost all respect for him. Like, he he just, like, it's it was beyond words. I don't know if you've seen it, but, you know, I, I don't really want to get it. No, I mean, I haven't. I, I, yeah, I haven't. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, I've heard yeah. a little bit about it. No, I haven't, uh, I haven't watched it. Yeah. I'm moving on. For, for, for someone, you know, I... I've also been studying, you know, uh, uh, economics and philosophy and all that for a few years now. And just listening to him talk, like the arrogance with which with, with which he says things sometimes, it's just, uh, it's. But anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I do want to commend you though on another video you did where um, you were talking about a an article on the Washington Post, I think it was, and the whole it was like a ten oh, yeah, minute video. I loved it, I, and I watched it with my girlfriend. Uh, we were watching oh, no. it together. Hopefully that. And no, 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 she video. loved it. As, <laughs> okay. as soon as she saw the real, the real uh, uh, article, we were both like, "Oh wow! Like that was good. That was good. We thought it was very witty. It was, I, I, uh, we I liked can't it." I even tell you. I can't even tell you how many takes that took. Really? It was. Really I, I have hard. no idea how you said all that yeah. with a straight face. Yeah, and it wasn't because I laughed. It's because I was reading it, and I wanted to have the spontaneity of reading it, like to, to, to look like I was reading it. But I could not get through the whole article without mentioning, like, children once. or like Because I had to switch yeah. around all the genders. I had to switch around. And so it was literally like 30 takes that that stupid thing took, like, <laughs> half a day to get it right. So uh, I appreciate it. I wish it had done more views because I thought it was quite a good and effective way yeah. of talking about it. But of course, it is one of the more sensitive topics. So people might be hesitant to share it if people, well, other people we're, didn't have background. Yeah. Yeah. We're, that's actually what, I, what I'm calling in for. But I want to say it was expertly done. And the whole time, I, I kept questioning myself, is he serious? Like, <laughs> and I know, like, I know you because I've been watching your show for over a year now almost two and i know so i know like what your message is but the whole time i was still like wait what so well i was originally going to do it like can you believe it i was originally going to do it like well could you believe if they were talking about wives like this and i thought well that's not really that powerful (laughs) a way to do it so let's just pretend that they are all right all right well um yeah so that's pretty much like the topic that i wanted to uh discuss with you well uh my my girlfriend and i uh, we lived together, and uh, we were watching, and we got to talking about um, 
parenting strategies and whatnot. Uh, she's clear that I agree with the NAP and that no, I no, think... No, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you. You're just starting. Strategies? Do you, do you, do you often talk with other boyfriends about your boyfriend strategies? Hmm, I guess, uh, I guess word to use for it uh principles no but it's, principles. it's and the reason yeah. the reason is a strategy is a maneuver it's a manipulation right right like right. a chess strategy is how to win and 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 a, you know a, a strategy of how to bed the girl is how to manipulate her into right so there's no boyfriend strategies at least i hope you don't have boyfriend <laughs> strategies and so i don't think strategies is a great and i'm just pointing that out just because it's a common oh. coinage but it's I not will, strategies it's like say. how can i manipulate into winning kind of thing right well, I will say that um, I do look at uh, a successful relationship as kind of a it, – there's sort of a strategy involved and in that there's tactics, um, just little things that you should do here and there. It's your girlfriend in the room at the moment. Uh, she's going to hear this tomorrow. So, <laughs> Do you think she will – when she hears that you have strategies and tactics? Which, she which knows I'm like super rational. No, she knows I'm like super rational about these things, and uh, uh, she's accused me of uh, killing the romance from uh, time to time. But uh, she well, clearly you just need to change your strategies to be more <laughs> romantic. <or something. laughs> and just saying it. strategies, I don't want to nitpick the word too much. I just want to point out that it may not be right. right? Like honesty is not a strategy, mm-hmm. right? And uh, anyway, but yeah, but I, go I, on. I Sorry for the question. Yeah, no, I definitely see your point. I can tell you right now, uh, my. You know, my intent with raising a child is to, you know, uh, just raise a child as morally as possible, right? Uh, you know, I think as long as as long as I I morally raise them, uh, all else will follow suit. What does that mean? Morally raise them? Well, yeah. As as opposed to immorally raise them, which is no, I understand what the acronym is. I mean, but 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 yeah. that's like saying I want to be a good parent. But everybody right. claims that they want to be a good parent, and everybody claims that they want to raise their children morally. So you're not adding anything in, in terms of mm-hmm. content, right? Right. So uh, just observe. I mean, you're like a painter saying, I want to paint a good picture. Well, of right. course you want to paint a good picture. You're a painter, right? I want to play well as a musician. Of course you do, right? I mean, but it doesn't add anything, right? So what does it mean to raise a child morally? Okay. Uh, I define it as. Uh, Number one, uh, not, uh, not you know, not being violent, either physically or verbally. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, that also a, includes uh, that also includes withdrawal, threats of withdrawal. Threats of withdrawal. Okay. Yes. Yes, that's true. That's actually interesting right. to bring the, that up. I was discussing. No, that it is because and, and the reason the reason because a lot of people will say that, and I think that's very good that you're pointing that out, but. Um, a child doesn't have any alternatives, right? Like if, if you walk right. out on a date, then your date's just going to go home, right? Drive home or take a cab or the bus or whatever, right? Or walk home. Mm-hmm. But if you if you leave the room with your child uh, upset, the child has no options, nowhere to go, no other recourse, uh, and so on. So uh, threats of withdrawal are violations of the non-aggression principle with children because they can't survive without you, right? Like if I, if I say, listen, man, I'm not going to send you any food, you don't care because you've got your own food, right? But if you're locked in my basement and I say I'm not going to send you any food, bingo, bango, bongo, I've just violated the non-aggression principle, right? Because I'm starving you. And so I just wanted to point out that this is something that's a little bit overlooked sometimes, but just wanted to mention it. Yeah, that's a, that's a very excellent point. That's actually something I would like to address later on after I kind of give like the introduction of uh, 
right the, the eventual question that I'm going to ask. But uh, I guess to, to finish the question, so no threat of violence, no threat of uh, uh, verbal abuse, um, to provide uh, at least the, the basic needs needed uh, for for the child, and uh, just uh, try and be a – you know, uh, I'm a firm believer in uh, leadership. You know, uh, uh, follow me, do as I do. So I think uh, an excellent parent is one that um, imparts the knowledge that they themselves um, exemplify. So I think that's – Now, uh, sorry, were you raised in this manner? No, I was not. Um, I'm very sorry about that. And the reason I want to point this out is that if you raise a child differently than you were raised, you will be as much of a student as you will be a teacher. Yes, because That's your child will be experiencing something that is quite opposite from what you've experienced, mm-hmm. and therefore your child will be ahead of you in many ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. I learned a yeah, lot about be... assertiveness from my daughter. I learned a lot about okay. assertiveness from my daughter because I was never allowed to be assertive as a child, whereas I allow her and encourage her to be assertive, and so she teaches me a lot more about assertiveness mm-hmm. because it's natural to her, whereas it's not natural to me, if that makes any sense. Um, I want to clarify, though, that was uh, – my answer was only half true. Um, okay. My, my father was um, uh, you know, the authoritarian, abusive relationship, while my mother um, actually did a fairly good job of um, uh-huh. raising a child in the manner that I speak of. So with her, I have uh, – wait, 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 wait. Have you – you've listened to a lot of these shows right now? Yes. Okay, so what am I going to say next? You were going to ask uh, maybe something about uh, the, the, the the pendant or wait, there's a, there's a term for it, like which is – no, I'm sorry. I'm Pendulum. getting it confused with something my girlfriend said. No, just go ahead and say it. Yeah. Okay. Um, if your father was abusive, for which I'm incredibly sorry, mm-hmm. then how is your mother off the hook for allowing your father – for choosing a man who's abusive, having a child with a man who's abusive and allowing him to abuse you? Right. Uh, she she at times she did her part. Um, she uh, forced him to leave the house uh, when I was around eight or nine. He was an alcoholic. Um, he would physically abuse me up until around that time. Not often, but hey, you know, once is enough, right? Uh, so well, she, wait, what does she, not often she, mean? Um, not often. Not often means uh, maybe every. Uh, half a year to a year, I would maybe get like a severe spanking. Uh, so it wasn't like it wasn't too often. It wasn't like a daily thing. Um, okay. But I, I yeah. So um, uh, she asked him to leave, and he did. Um, and uh, and why did she ask him to leave when you were older? Why not before? I'm not saying she should or shouldn't have. I'm just curious. No, she asked him to leave because he what was changed? an alcoholic by then, right? So he was an alcoholic. Oh, he was an al- so he wasn't an alcoholic when you were younger. Yes, yes, he was. So he he was okay. An alcoholic so what changed? It was because it was because of it was because of her asking him to leave. Alcoholic, right? Um, Sorry, I didn't quite understand that. So he was an alcoholic from when you were born or before you were born, but then when right. you were, I think, nine, she asked him to leave. And I, I'm exactly. just like I'm just I'm not curious like I, I'm sorry I'm curious just because I don't know the answer and I don't know if it's a good or bad or right or wrong but why mm-hmm. what changed did sorry, he become more drunken right. did he become more violent oh. did he what what changed that 
she was living with him for nine years as a co-parent, and then she wasn't. What changed? She was living with him for much longer than that. Um, I'm a, like really late child. Uh, my youngest brother. Oh, so she knew like about all. Oh, sorry to interrupt, but she knew about his alcoholism and his violence uh, before she had you. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, from from what I understand, I, I haven't really talked too much about this particular period or episode, but from what I understand, uh, she he wasn't really that violent um, or aggressive, uh, but through the use of um, about the years, I mean, he was a you know he would drink. Uh, uh, gin on the rocks, like these massive tall glasses of gin on the rocks every day. So he was a he was a, you know. And, you know you, know, you giggled at that, right? Is, I'm sorry. You you laughed when you said that, right? Um, it was just a uh, uh, just a memory I had. Uh, I accidentally drank one of those. Ones, not funny, so. right? Yeah, it's um, well, humor is how I diffuse um, uncomfortable situations for myself. Well, to some degree, I would say that humor is how you try to invite other people not to look at it seriously. I see. So that you don't have to look at it seriously. Hmm. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to think about that later on. That's actually very, okay, um, okay. a very deep kind of uh, uh, statement. But um, but yeah, so uh, I, I guess he became more and more aggressive throughout the years. And then when my mom asked him to leave, that's when he went to AA and he quit. Damage has been done, but, you know, he was still pretty, you know, we, we never really had a, a good relationship. He had a terrible relationship with his parents, so I can kind of see where, where that came from. But um, more specifically. No, no, uh, no, 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 okay. no, no. Everybody's, everybody's doing this thing tonight where it's like, well, my parents are excused because, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm not going to. Okay, right. so I'm what, what terrible things. What? What? Ter- no, you just did though, because you said he had a terrible relationship with his parents, and that's where that's probably where it came from, or that's where it came from, right? So, what well, terrible no, things have you done me. because you didn't have a relation, great relationship with your dad? Right. Well, I'm not really excusing it. I'm just saying, like, that could be a source of where he gets his his issues from. It's kind of one statement I'm trying to make, but. Uh... No. no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be annoying. But you want to be rational. Okay. Let's be rational, right? You say you're hyper-rational, so let's be rational. Okay. So are you saying that everyone who has a bad relationship with their parents turns into a raging and abusive drunk? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Okay, so then stop saying that it's causal because it's not. Okay. All right. I mean, no, it's right. influential, of course, right? It's influential. Mm-hmm. But – you know, just just to very briefly make the argument that I made at the last Sunday show, very briefly. Did your father oh, know right. he had a bad relationship with his parents? Mm-hmm. Okay, then he's responsible for fixing it. Like if you know you have a, a genetic disposition to heart disease, what do you do with that knowledge? Do you sit on the couch and, and eat pork rinds all day? No, I see. Do do? I see your. No, I see your point. You're. You're right. There is no. There is no causation. There's correlation at the most. No, the causation should be the other way. The causation should like if somebody if somebody says to me, Steph, you know, you you got a family history of of heart disease. I'm zooming off to to the doctor, to the to the nutritionist, to the heart specialist. Say, hey, what do I do? Mm-hmm. What do I do to fix this? What do I do to raise my odds of of 
not dying of no. heart disease, right? Right. Uh, but then, but then, well, if I sort of sit around eating eating pork rinds and not, never exercising, and then I do die of heart disease, are people going to say, "Well, it was all genetics"? I mean, we told him, "No, it's the choice of what was done with the knowledge that is causal, not the facts." Right? The facts are maybe I have a genetic predisposition to heart disease, and then you do everything <laughs> you can to to avoid that fate if you want to. But if you embrace that fate and just say, "Well, fuck it, I'm going to." You know, I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, drink 19 cups of coffee a day and eat pork rinds and never exercise. And then, uh, then <laughs> I say, well, you see, I got heart disease, but it was entirely uh, because of uh, genetics. But people would say no. And in fact, your knowledge of these genetics should have led you to healthier life choices. People who had bad relationship with their parents have a greater responsibility to seek professional help, to read books on counseling, uh, to read books on parenting, to make sure they don't repeat those mistakes, blah, 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 right? Right. They have a, a, a heightened responsibility to do that in the same way that a guy with a genetic history of heart disease in the family has a heightened responsibility to live heart healthy, especially mm-hmm. especially if that guy has a family because now he's got responsibilities. Right. It is not causal that your father had a bad relationship and therefore and therefore. No. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Okay, uh, good. So please go on. All right. Just uh... – I guess to sum up uh, why I think my mom, even after the breakup, you know, he was still verbally abusive. Um, I think uh, she stayed with him mostly because of her religious beliefs. Um, she's a staunch Catholic and she does not believe in divorce. Um, they're actually – they've been separated for most of the time. But, um, you know, it's uh, – uh, you know, she's also had a, a codependent relationship sorry did you say she's she did she divorce your father no she's not divorced she's um she's separated live they live in the same house but in separate dwelling units of the same house so uh they still they still work together you know uh just running finances and stuff like that uh, as you would uh-huh. in, in a marriage but they don't really they don't really have a loving relationship anymore and you know I my mom not. Yeah, my mom is just – she just stuck it through because of her, her religious conviction and her dedication to the marriage. Right. She so, I mean, she may like, have skipped I, I know over that part of the Bible where Jesus says, whatever you allow the, to occur to the children, so do you also do unto me. Uh, she mm-hmm. may have missed over that. But anyway. Okay. Right. So let's get to your question. All right. So um, uh, so my girlfriend and I. Uh, we've been through the same situation, right? So we both came from uh, authoritarian, abusive uh, parenting styles. And uh, she has a nephew that we've been taking care of uh, once in a while. And because I watch your show and I've been learning all um, you know, great parenting um, advice, uh, I've been talking to her about it. And she agrees. She agrees with some of – a lot of the things. Sometimes we get into uh, – uh, you know, sometimes we have discussions. Uh, you know, she has maybe a little bit of a different opinion. Um, her, the child's parents. So the child is two years old, and his parents are uh, also in the abusive authoritarian uh, paradigm. They're also, you know, again, they're socially religious, so they think they're, you know, they're doing things properly i'm I'm an atheist so you don't have to tell me about like you know all the contradictions in the bible i'm well aware of those but they they believe they're doing good you know they believe that this is how you're supposed to um raise a child so i guess the the question is i have like specific situations that 
we deal with when we take care of him that we obviously see that it's coming from that authoritarian paradigm um and it's just like we we just i guess like where where my my girlfriend and i where, where we differ is that sometimes we see an action and we're not sure if by um reacting to it in a certain way we are in that authoritarian model if we're trying to impose our views and our beliefs onto onto the child or if we're simply reacting in such a way can you give me something uh sorry to interrupt but it's all very abstract could you give me something specific so i can understand more concretely what's being discussed of course so um he's gotten in the habit um since his birthday party is when i first saw him uh doing it um he would look at people if and if he if you would do something he didn't like, he would look at you and he would say, um, "You're so stupid." Yeah. So. Um, so sorry. I. Yeah, it's 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 really sad to see, and I know that I know I know where it comes from. Um, yeah, now, I mean, kids don't make that stuff up. My daughter's never said anything like that to anyone or in any way, shape, or form because you know she doesn't know the words. Okay, go on. Yeah. So I know it's, it's is he it's, being sorry? I'm sorry. To, sorry to interrupt. I just asked you to go on. Uh, is, is he being spanked? Of, oh, of course he is. And is there verbal abuse? You're so stupid stuff. Um, okay. I've never. Well, no, no. Heard. Don't say of course because it's not like all Christians do that, right? Well, I, well, I describe them as being part of the authoritarian abusive paradigm, right? So they they believe that spanking is 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 not 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 just um, morally correct, but yeah. it's the necessity. You have to. You have Necessary, to discipline yeah. children. So, okay. um, well, for for instance, for instance, you can tell that there's verbal abuse because the way that he says no, whenever someone wants to give him something that he doesn't want or something, mm-hmm. he'll say no, and he'll just yell it like really loud, just say no. And I've seen his parents talk to him like that. So, um, and and the looks they give him sometimes, it's like you know, yeah, there's there's definitely. Um, there's definitely verbal abuse going on as well. Right. So I'm, I so hope, what's your question? I hope the stupid part, right, doesn't come from them calling him stupid. I just hope he gets it from somewhere else. But, but anyway, so oh, no, no. What, I mean, look, I mean, so it's almost if he's two. I mean, um, it's almost for certain he's getting it from parents, right? I mean, I don't know if he's in yeah, daycare it's, or it's what. Quite but, possible. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah, it's almost quite possible. Certain, right? I mean, where else would he I'm learn that? I'm thinking maybe secret? TV. Maybe he's watching. Some oh, I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, uh, unless the yeah. parents are exposing him to entirely age-inappropriate programming, right? Right. Which is a, just a just, just just stand-in verbal abuse, right? Right. Well, for, so, for his no, age, I, I think mean, he watches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for his age, he watches a lot of TV. Yeah, that's he watches. Um, he watches uh, Spider-Man and a lot of um, a lot of these shows oh, where they present a, a, a hero that beat up the beats up the bad guys. And I think that's, yeah, and I personally think that's villains, terrible. Right? I mean, yeah, some pretty scary villains in um, yeah. in Spider-Man. Okay, so what's your question? So I guess the question is, um, how, how do you, how do you deal with that? So how when we take care of you bring them, them the facts. Talks... You, okay. you you bring the parents the facts. You bring the parents oh, the facts. I, I, to say, oh, look, I meant I no, meant no, how do we bring deal the parents... with him? No, you you can't deal with him. You have to deal with the parents. Okay. I mean, you, 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 you cause an effect, right? 
You have to sit down with the parents. You have to say, look, I mean, I've done some research. Uh, here's the latest stuff on spanking uh, and so on. And, you know, here's the latest stuff on TV. And here's the latest stuff on um, violence in the media and kids and this and that and the other, you know. Um, so just in case you haven't been aware of this, you know, there is this. It cuts IQ points down to spank. Uh, it, uh, re it raises aggression. Uh, I really don't want you guys to have a really tough time where the kid gets bigger uh, because if you're teaching him that bigger uh, might makes right and blah, 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 you know, he's going to get to be a teenager and he's going to rebel. And, you know, I really would want you guys to have an easier time. And so uh, you you deal with the, the parents. You can't uh, you, you can't change the child if he then goes straight back into an environment, which is the opposite. Right. Well, I I kind of I kind of expected that answer um, I, I, from like oh, previous podcasts. In the sense that, like, because no, I know you, I know, like, what you said before, like, um, 90, 90 something percent of conflicts with child, it's about avoidance. Like, it's about avoiding that conflict. Don't present the ability, don't allow that conflict to ever surface, right? So, I guess what I'm trying to find out is what can my I'm sorry, I don't, I don't quite understand oh, okay. what that means. Oh, I, I, it was, um, one of your podcasts that you had, uh, that I heard a long time ago and you talked about how when you're, you know, when you're, when you have a child, um, for instance, if you know the child wants sweets, but you don't want to give them sweets, then, you know, you avoid that conflict by not having sweets in the house. Is Yeah. Or certainly not having them right in front of the kid or whatever. Right. So yeah, that's certainly something that that's when they get older, you can explain it to them and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that certainly is an important part of it so but yeah i i mean you because basically what you're saying is how do we deal with the kid like the kid is somehow free to make his or her own decisions the kid's just being imprinted on and you got to act soon because because he's two right by the time he's three he's mostly done like his personality is mostly done i mean and then when he's an adult maybe with a lot of effort and therapy and expense and he can work to reverse some stuff but you know you you gotta you gotta act fast you gotta act now you got to get this information into the hands of the parents. Right. Well, um, that was actually – so I was I was going to ask you that question eventually is what is the best way to approach them. But I guess I have other – I have another example that I wanted to maybe talk about. Um, okay. Got to make it quick me... though because we've got other callers. So just uh, yeah. if you can make it quick, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, so sometimes he'll hit me uh, as, as uh, he's play fighting, he'll just go up to me and he'll just punch me in the arm or something like that. Sure. And, um, I, I'm not exactly sure how to deal with it in the best way is tell him very specifically, like, Hey, listen, like if you, I'm not going to play with you, if you're going to hit me, if you hit me, I'm just going to stop playing with you. Cause I don't like to get hit. And he seems well, that's, to have that's consequences. No, th and that's consequences and that's modifying behavior. And I think that's fine. You know, and that, that you can't have him hitting you. But right. you got to ask him about hitting. I'm sorry? But you ask him about hitting. Like you say, why are you hitting me? He won't know that. He's two, right? He won't be able to yeah, explain he's two, he's his not... internal state mm -hmm. or whatever, right? But, um, you know, do, do you hit others? Uh, do other people hit you? <laughs> What, what hitting have you seen? Uh, where do you? What do you like about hitting? Um, you know, just try and engage and, and figure out where this is. I mean, if he's watching Spider Man, I mean, they're hitting and punching and powering each other all the time. Sorry. You no, know, his grandfather. His grandfather. Um, you know, his grandfather. Same thing comes from this authoritarian, abusive parenting style, and 
you know, he, he play fights with him and like he's very aggressive with him. His his aunt his aunt I have never seen a woman rough up a two year old more than it's for her it's playing like she's playing but obviously it's very like and you could after she played with like quote unquote played with him you could see it in the kid's face he's like wow like that was really rough you know you could see well and you know you also might want to explain to the to the parents that i mean if they're thinking of sending him to school which i assume they are Mm -hmm. then they've got to be less rough with him because he's not going to be able to function in a school environment if they're that rough right. with him, and then he's going to end up probably on drugs. Hmm. Yeah, it's possible. It's definitely possible. I mean, if he's that aggressive and and as you is 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 violent and and all that and and loud and and so on. I mean, mm-hmm. how, how is he going to function sitting in in a row of of of, of chairs, waiting mm-hmm. for his turn? Well. Well, then the, 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 the teacher's going to be like, well, I can't run a classroom full of these kids, so let's get that kid on some Ritalin. And then the Ritalin might screw up his sleep habits, so let's get the kid on some sleeping pills or some, you know, oh, my goodness, he's developing psychotic symptoms. Let's get him on some antipsychotics. And then, you know, his brain just might get completely fried. Preparing him for school. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Well, I plan on, like, if, if it were up to me, I wouldn't send him to school personally, but, you know, obviously his No, no, parents... it's not up to you, though, but you got to appeal to yeah, the parents, of right? Of course. Uh, of course. And either they're going to listen or they're not. Uh, that's on them. But your responsibility, uh, I think, is to uh, get the information to the parents, right? That way you can figure out if they're ignorant or just bad. Yeah, it's uh, my, my Michelle wanted me to, my, my girlfriend wanted me to say this one. <laughs> she She noticed this one time where... Um, the mother would go to the kid and she has to say, you have to say things nicely to people. Oh, God. And yeah, so it's, obvious. It's just, uh, mm-hmm. But um, so I guess to address kind of my, my girlfriend's concern. So um, I, I like what you said. So it's behavior modification. And as well, you are. Um, what was the other thing you said? It was um be curious curious about what hitting means and why they hit and and you know yeah. he, he might be resistant and then you have to approach it in a value neutral way like why are you hitting me the kid's just going to clam up right you have to be genuinely right. curious about his anthropological experience and thoughts about hitting and feelings do you hit like are you angry when you hit and then you make the angry face like do you feel like when you hit or do you feel like scared or do you feel happy or you know just figure yeah, out what's the emotion behind it and all that right yeah I have never seen such an angry kid in my life. I, I, I didn't know sure. two-year-olds could be that angry. But um, um, you said – okay, so what if what if he hits and I take something away from him? Do you think that that's crossing the line now we're doing a threat No, of... because then you're, you're just into strategies and management then, right? Okay. I mean don't get me wrong. I'm not – you know, consequences, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm not against any of that sort of stuff. But it <laughs> is – that's immediate damage control. That's not right. solving the problem. Like you, mm-hmm. you may get him to change his behavior, but that doesn't deal with the problem. Well, I'm trying to figure out ways that I could present value towards his parents. And what I mean by that is I want them to look at two uh, – uh, uh, look at a parentless couple as a potential source of advice for parenting. And that's not easy to do. No, 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 no. You're not the source of advice. Sorry to interrupt. You're not the source of advice because you're not parents. The source of advice are the facts, right? 
I yeah, you're right. The studies, the facts, the a... you, this sort of stuff, right? That yeah, that well... so many people have come out against spanking that the scientific evidence is overwhelming. Uh, that it's just negative, or bad, and destructive for the right. kids' mental and and, and emotional Stephane, health. Creationist. You're dealing. Well, with well, I know. I know. I, I get that. I get that. But these, nonetheless, these are, uh, these are, these are facts. You know what they, what they choose to do with the facts. Oh, I, I, I mean, I think if you care, you're responsible for presenting the facts. But if you can't change the behavior of the parents, then for heaven's sake, don't imagine you can change the behavior of the child in any meaningful way. The only way you'll be able to change the behavior of the child, without changing the behavior of the parents, is through exercising power over the child, right? And, and that's that's just another person who's now going to exercise if, power over him, right? Sorry, go ahead. What I I I just had an epiphany. Um, what if? Because you know, it's it, there, there are certain ways to approach people about this sort of thing, especially when, when I can anticipate that these people are going to be a little bit resistant to uh, hearing out these sorts of things. But what if I were to research a someone that's um, from their denomination who can who actually agrees with these principles, some religious some religious figure that can in fact tell them like no, like what the Bible says, like no, 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 you know, it's it's. Research shows this, and God will, you know, God will appreciate, uh, uh, the, you know, God will approve of this kind of parenting. I think Do they know that, that you're an atheist? Um, I don't think uh, my girlfriends use that word, but I think they get the inkling that I'm a non-believer. That's I guess the right. ex- ex- extent. So what are you going to say when the kid starts talking about God? What am I going to say to him? Um, yeah. I would. At, when he's going to say, we need to pray before this meal, it's time to say grace. So I need to. When he tells you the story to, of God. And... Well, as long as as long as we're in my house, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, we don't pray in my house. My girlfriend likes to pray once she's Christian, so she likes to pray uh, uh, once in a while. And, um, you know, I, 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 I don't have a, I don't have a problem with, like, I, I'm not in the business of, you know, raising him in that regard. So. Out of respect for them, I would keep it very brief to, you know, go ask your parents or something like that. I wouldn't answer it. All right. Okay. Well, I hope I've given you some some useful stuff, but I do have to get on to the next caller. We did start a little bit late tonight, so um, uh, thank you for your call. I I do appreciate that. And listen, I really do appreciate and respect your concern for your nephew that is you know he's very lucky to have someone thinking this deeply about his well-being and his life so I, I really do commend you for that yeah oh she's the one who's most most deeply invested in in uh, in her nephew great that speaks she's well to both that. of you so thank you so much and uh, Mike yeah. if we can move on to the next yeah thank you very much all right Nathan you're up Steph can you hear me okay I can hit me brother um, so I wanted to start by uh, thanking you for the new uh, economy, the crash of the the fall of the United Kingdom video that you did, meticulously well researched, which was probably mostly Michael, right? <laughs> well, that was the one I did in the car. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think we both did a good job on that. Thank you. <laughs> the one you did. Wait a minute. Am I missing something? The one you did in the car? No, I mean the one you just released today. On the oh, fall I'm of sorry. the UK? You're absolutely right. I was thinking about the, the decline and fall of the US dollar. You mean the UK presentation? Yes. Um, yes, Mike, Michael was definitely in charge of the research to do with that. I did supply the accent, though, which I hope was, was <laughs> an equal contribution. I, I, uh, 
when I was listening, I was also working and you got to the one stat that uh, I have to go back and look at it again because it was just unbelievable. You had so many little asides and, and wise, wisecracks. And at one point you said, well, 37 percent of uh, of younger people in the UK rarely go outside the house. And I thought that was a joke. I, I really thought you were kidding. It was like 37 percent of them rarely masturbate. I mean, I mean, it's just it was just such an unbelievable stat that I actually had to go back and rewind it and, and see that it was actually in one of the one of the listings. Yeah, strange. Um, uh, the number of people who masturbate outside the house, though, I think is lower. Combine <laughs> those two statistics. Um, but uh, anyway, the reason the raincoat um, was invented in England, and it's not because of the rain. But uh, go ahead. <laughs> So uh, before I got to my question, I wanted to share with you uh, – or it's not really a question, but we'll, we'll come to that. I wanted to share with you something that happened to me this afternoon. My kids were watching a, a cartoon called Peppa Pig, and this is produced in England. So all of the characters are speaking with English accents, and the little, these three little girls are playing – well, three little pigs, but three little girls – are playing uh, shopkeeper. And so one of them is pretending to be the shopkeeper and one of them is pretending to be the stock girl and one of them is pretending to be the customer. And so the customer walks in and says, I'd like to know what I can buy for a thousand million pounds. And so the shopkeeper turns back to the stock girl and says, what can uh, Susie, what can she buy for a thousand million pounds? And she sort of looks around on the shelf and she goes, ah, a carrot. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I, I didn't know the show was like more economically uh proficient than paul krugman but apparently it is <laughs> right <laughs> we need to be friends let's get some space aliens in here with ray guns <laughs> a thousand million pounds for a carrot that's the inflation is coming um so anyway uh to the point of my call i heard that i got scooped because somebody else already brought up this topic but i did not uh get to listen to the beginning of the show um oh, go ahead. so um, you did a video uh, a few days ago, uh, No Excuses for Female Evil. And when I first watched it, I had uh, I had done some background research on the story. And so when I first watched it, I was kind of taken aback because I was like, what what the hell is he talking about? And so I, I'd asked Michael to, to get on the call because I wanted to come here for an argument. And then since then, since yesterday – I uh, I saw something you posted on Facebook that kind of triggered a revelation for me. And uh, you posted a graphic and it said number of people killed by God. And it was like two million, three hundred thousand or whatever number of people killed by Satan. And it was like 10. And I, when I saw that, I was like, well, that's weird because both of those numbers should be zero. Because neither of these things really exist. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought it was kind of a strange graphic. And then it occurred to me that it's it's a that's a graphic about the character and about the moral quality of the character written about in this story of the Bible. And then I realized that when you were making that video, you were talking about the character being presented in the story. And so all of these people are it's it's, it's as if they were talking about, well, I'm doing a review of Lord of the Rings and I want to write about how Saruman um, built the, the half works or whatever because he was off his, his um, anti-psychotic meds. Or I'm doing a review of The Godfather and I want to talk about how Michael Corleone became a raging murdering asshole because he had PTSD from the war. 
instead of actually saying, well, no, these people are just villains. Um, so, so I had originally come to, to sort of debate this topic, but then once I had that revelation, I realized I just wanted to share with you that I kind of get it where you're, where you're coming from, or at least I think I do, um, that it's, it's about the, the moral narrative of the story being presented, um, not necessarily any specific individuals. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, I think I think you're exactly right, and I think the reality is, ninety percent of parents in America spank their children. Sixty percent of mothers spank their children, you know, two to three times a week. So we have a lot of female immorality to excuse, right? And this knee-jerk reaction to excuse female immorality. I mean, this showed up in The Last Caller. I mean, woman had a child. I'm glad The Last Caller is alive, but woman had a child with a, drunk, a violent drunk. I'm sorry, does that mean she's a pure victim? Of course not. That's a choice she had. I mean, this is what women wanted. They wanted choice. They wanted to be respected for their choices. They wanted to be respected for their freedoms. They wanted to be equal to men. Okay. I think that's great. I really do. I, I mean, that's what I want. I want that for my daughter. I want that for the future. I think that's great. But the basic reality is that women do a lot of evil in the world. And they do a lot of evil in the world, particularly against children. And out of that evil that they do to children comes a lot of other evils, right? Right. And this excuse for, for female evil... It simply arises out of the fact that a lot of people are beaten up by their moms, are spanked by their moms, and they have to invent all of this nonsense uh, to excuse. Anytime female evil comes up, what it does is it provokes their anxiety about what they have suffered at the hands of their mothers. And so they have to immediately make it go away by creating excuses. And they create those excuses primarily to serve the narcissistic needs of abusive mothers, not because there's any sort of objective moral judgment involved. Because the basic reality is, if we as a society are willing to immediately excuse a woman who brings a baby into a life-threatening situation, if we immediately excuse that, then what we're saying is that we must seek to understand cognitive limitations and never punish them, right? Because if this woman was depressed or suffering from postpartum depression or psychosis, or like, we, we must not condemn uh, people who with, with limited cognitive means. We must seek to understand them. We, that would be the principle behind it, right? We must seek to, to really uh, figure it out and not punish, right? But I any nation so. that truly believed, yeah, but any nation that truly believed that would never have a spanking rate of 90%. Do you understand? Because children are cognitively limited. Right. And, and, and if we are supposed to see, quote, bad behavior from from the standpoint of, uh, well, the person is cognitively limited. And therefore, we must not judge them negatively and we certainly must not punish them. We must have sympathy for them and get them resources. Then we would never have a spanking rate of 90 percent because we would apply that principle to children and never hit them. Right. So you understand it is a completely hypocritical standard that is only applied to women and in particular is applied to mothers. And the fact that it is applied to mothers and the exact opposite rule is applied to children, in other words, you're bad, I'm going to hit you, 
just shows you that it's not a principle. It's an emotional defense. Now, maybe we should say, well, let's be really gentle with the emotional defenses and not provoke them and blah de blah de blah And maybe that is a better path. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I know that that's been tried quite a lot, this love thy enemy, turn the other cheek kind of stuff, and there's still a spanking rate of 90%. And that's not how men were dealt with, right? Because when it was sort of realized that men were abusive in marriage, uh, I don't believe that women were told to to understand them, that they're cognitively limited by patriarchy, that uh, we should forgive them, that we should understand them, that we should get them help. No, uh, men are pigs, there's an evil patriarchy, and you should leave your abusive husband. So uh, I simply take my cue from what has gone uh, and what is accepted as as morally good in the past. Now, if people say, well, you know, if people are uh, cognitively lim- – if people who do bad things are cognitively limited and we should have sympathy for them, well, that's fine. Then the whole world owes a massive apology to men who have been roundly criticized for being patriarchal and abusive, and nobody has sought to understood the, understand them and their origins, but have simply condemned them as male chauvinist pigs and abusers and this and that and the other. So there's just no way out of this thorn, right? If we're going to have sympathy – for people who do terrible things, then let's have sympathy for men who are abusive. And let's have a, a definite sympathy for children who have very cognitively limited. And let's never hit them. Let's rather seek to understand them. But children pour uh, massive – sorry, but, but people pour massive derision on, and hostility and contempt and rage and anger and prison cells on men who are abusive and do not excuse them or seek to understand them. And we hit children repetitively and continuously, and yet it's women. When they do something bad, suddenly this big glowing magic helmet of <laughs> let's excuse them for everything that they do, suddenly that comes out. And it's like, oh, well, that's bullshit. Give me a fucking break. That's so ridiculous. It's so transparent that uh, I think it's contemptuous, and it is so fundamentally disrespectful towards women. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm not sure I have much to follow that up on, um, ex- except um, I'm just curious. In, in the instance of this one video, do you think it's important to separate the 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 fact that you're talking about a narrative versus actual events? Well, I did bring right. lots of other examples in, and I did say that maybe this woman does have a mental illness, but that's not the point. The point is we don't know yet, and people are already excusing her. No, and I brought fair. in uh, women with uh, – I brought in like nobody says uh, that, that men beat women because women are just so annoying that if you spend more time around a woman, you'll end up beating her up. But we say oh, wait, this, you, well, you said, you said that, but it was a joke. Well, yes, but, but that's because people say, well, women abuse children because they spend more time around them. It's like, oh, come on. So exposure to children just ups- – anyway. So, yeah, I mean I know that I knew that was going to be uh, controversial, um, and my hope, of course, was to simply shock people uh, into um, thinking about something differently because uh, I've put out calmer and more recent arguments around this before that have gone precisely nowhere. And so you just keep – you know, I'm a big one for try different things until you get what you want. And uh, – uh, what I want is for people to to give women the respect of uh, potential immorality in the same way that they <laughs> jump to the conclusions that uh, abusive men are bad uh, and uh, and children should be spanked. Uh, let's let's at least let's at least give women the respect that we give to children in our current society, uh, which is that we judge them as bad and punish them. 
I mean, I don't agree that that's the case with children, but at least start treating women like children. That would be a step up. Well, I, I, I can't think of anything I need to follow that up with. So um, thanks so much for your time. And uh, this is Philosophy After Midnight. So um, yeah. I'll let you move What's on the first? to the other callers. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate your call. All right. All right, Bruce, you're up next. Now, Bruce, if you're not from Australia, I'll be sadly. <laughs> hey, Stefan, how you doing? I'm well, Bruce. How you doing? Good. Um, well, I just want to say I, was, I really enjoy the show and uh, I'm actually pretty new um, to your show. I basically heard of you um, via Peter Joseph and that whole deal you had with him. And, um, Great. Well, welcome aboard. <laughs> yeah, and um, and I've heard everybody talk about how um, it seems like a lot of people are siding with you, and I, I guess that's because. No, no, people... no, no! Come on, come on, come on! <laughs> you can't say that. Um, <laughs> siding uh... with me—they don't even know me. <laughs> what do you mean siding um... with me? I, you know, I, I hope that you know if if Einstein, I'm not trying to compare myself to Einstein I'm just using an analogy right but if Einstein makes a better case than Newton would you say to physicists well they're just siding with Einstein yeah maybe well so um basically I just wanted to be a, a dissenting voice here and I gotta say that I agreed with uh Peter more than I agreed with you and I wanted to give Great. some uh reasoning no why. I'm, listen I'm, I'm thrilled I'm perfectly thrilled because I was really hoping to get more people uh, to come in and explain what I obviously didn't understand and with great yeah. suspicion and, didn't understand. So I, I'm very glad seen, that you are uh, calling in. I've seen, yeah, I've seen a lot of his videos, and um, I feel like I've really digested what his beliefs are. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting about the debate, um, or that was a fundamental misunderstanding for both of you, is that like you say in the in the video, you say that you know a, a true free market society has never occurred before, and and the current market uh, is not a free society. Um, but likewise, the you know what um, what the Zeitgeist movement wants to do has never occurred before either. So essentially, uh, you guys are both putting forth a new, never occurring mm. before. Theory. Not quite. Not quite. Sorry. So a a, a, a societies without prices and without free trade have definitely occurred in the past. Well, you you personally said in the video that a a true free market has never occurred before. Sure, but but just because we've never seen pure white doesn't mean that there's no difference between black and very light gray. Do you understand? No. But so so what I'm saying is that. Um, well, you, you kept getting mad at Peter because he's not offering proof and 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 whatnot. Uh, but no, the, the, no, the no, I, I got that... mad. No, no, sorry. Just to be precise, I got mad at Peter because Peter was repeatedly insulting me. Well, I, I was going to get to that, but um, okay. Just to well, be it clear, seems like not, you know. it seems like one of the things that is is that I would point out is that both of you are putting forth. A, a theory of, of, of an economic organization or, or lack of organization that's never occurred before. So proof is not the standard by which you should judge 
because both of you essentially can't prove anything because both of what you want has never occurred before in history. So the no, only sorry, proof that sorry, you could still, really... No, sorry, 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 sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, it certainly is true that a pure free market, i.e. a stateless society, uh, has not occurred uh, in history. Absolutely, without a doubt. But that doesn't right. mean that governments have always been the same size under all circumstances. So, for instance, if you look at something like East Germany versus West Germany or East Berlin versus West Berlin in the post-war period, you had two societies, uh, one of which was more along the lines of the free market, uh, the w West Germany, of course, and one of which was part of a communist central planning society without price, without supply and demand, without private property rights. So all this, basically violations of the non-aggression principle all over the place. So here you have an example of a, uh, a, a, a generally free market in West Berlin and in West, uh, Western Germany. And then you have a centrally planned top-down communist-style, socialist-style economy uh, in Eastern Europe. And the, the two were massive divergencies uh, in just about every way that you could think of. You can look at something like public school education uh, is run in a socialist manner, whereas the, um, the software uh, and, and electronics hardware market is run well, – let me just finish. I'm almost done. Is run closer to the uh, ideals of, of the free market in that there's very little government regulation. There's very low barriers to entry, uh, and you don't have to have a license to be a, a programmer. Uh, you can just go and be a programmer. And so it's closer to the free market. And if you look at the innovation uh, in the electronics and software sector as opposed to the complete lack of innovation and, and progress in the uh, – uh, say, the where, where the government has the most control of the educational system. So there are – indications if that makes any sense there's indications so it's sort of like um nobody has ever uh, not had poison but people get different degrees of poison and so somebody who takes you know 10 milliliters of this poison dies you know somebody who takes five milliliters of this poison um doesn't die but is crippled somebody who takes two milliliters of this poison uh is neither crippled nor dies but you know gets sick to their stomach for six months somebody who takes one milliliter gets a bad migraine and somebody who takes half a milliliter has a you know a mild headache and so so you can see the progress and then you can say well we should stop taking this poison at all right so even though i, I could say well no one has ever not taken this poison we can definitely see that when people take less of this poison they're not nearly as sick and there's no reason to believe that wouldn't continue. So it's not like there's no proof whatsoever. Uh, so, uh, but, but, but there are definitely gradations and, and, uh, and so on. So does that, does that make any sense? Um, yeah, I mean, I understand what you, I understand what you said. Um, but like with the, with the example that you just gave, what you said to him was that he, he, can't, uh, he can't use the current system to critique what you want because what you want has never existed so that you can't use any examples from history to critique what you're saying but now you're just giving an example of something and but so I, i'm trying to understand why you exempted him using history and the current economy to critique your theory because you clearly are now just saying that that's okay well because he kept using examples that was supposed to represent the free market which actually represented the government, right? Right, so but if, if three examples that he used, uh, just for those who didn't hear the debate, so three examples that he used as negative, one was uh, bankruptcy proceedings, which is all run by the government legal system, 
One was that uh, somebody he worked with had a, a visa, a work visa, uh, and was in danger of losing that work visa. Well, that's all government stuff. And the third was that the video production company that he worked for was a corporation, and that is all defined by the government legal system. So when I was sort of pointing out that he can't use stuff which is purely statist uh, and, and very much against uh, free markets and private property to criticize free markets and private property. That was sort of my point. Not, not that you could never use any examples of any kind, um, but uh, that all the examples he was using were actually examples of state power, not of uh, free markets. Okay. Um, one of the other things that I thought was um, that happened a lot when you guys talked is that um, when you like, like when you read his statements and then you give your comments like on a post debate critique. Um, I feel like, like I watched this one, um, the one where you're, you're mentioning and he goes like, he's talking about the board game and, 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 and then he says at the very end, like, it's an incredibly important point. And you just say, um, like something about like making statements is not something to be done in an argument. And, and you, and you do the same thing when you say like, he's just using, adjectives or whatever and i and i just don't understand um how anyone is to make any arguments then if they can't use adjectives or statements because then they'd have to ask questions without in sentences that don't have adjectives so well sorry but you're not- you're not understanding the the rational point um, and maybe i wasn't clear in the video but if I say we should adopt my system because my system is more efficient, have I proven anything? Well, that's not what like everything... no, no, no. This is a yet yeah, no, no. This this is a yes or no question. Uh, not by that alone, no. That's no, a, no. Ag- no. Agreed. No, not by that alone. Now, if I say right, if you say I'm a, I'm in a real hurry to get to Rio de Janeiro. Mm-hmm. And you say I think I should walk, and I say if you're in a real hurry and you can afford it, it'll be faster to go by the plane because walking will take you two weeks or six months. I don't know where you are. Whereas if you take the plane, it will only take you an hour or two. Have I at least proven with that argument that flying a plane is faster than walking and is better serves if you can afford it your desire to get there quickly? Yeah, I, I understand that. Okay, but... so then if I say so flying a plane is more efficient, then you would agree with that. Because I've proven it. And then I can use the adjective efficient because I've already established the the argument, right? I've already proven the argument. Therefore, I can use the adjective, right? Right. Like if, I, if a, I'm putting a business plan a, forward and I say, look, we invest $1,000 here and we make $100. Whereas if we invest $1,000 over here, we're only going to make $50. Therefore, the one where we invest $1,000 invest and make 100 is more profitable. No, then I can I say it's more profitable because I've already proven it. Whereas if I just say we should do this because it's more profitable with no proof, I haven't established anything, right? Right, but in an hour-long debate where you guys are going constantly back and forth, um, everything that he says is an argument and is a point in a broader context of proving his theory of economics. So there's nothing he says that's just a statement. It's all arguments in a broader context. So I don't know no... what broader context means. I, I'm sorry, I don't know what broader context means. As in, like, his conclusion is we should organize society the way Zeitgeist wants it to be. And everything he says 
is an argument for that conclusion. So, right. And so at some point you have to prove something, right? Every, every sentence he said to you is his argument for that. And proof isn't necessarily the standard. You can just use reason to argue. Wait, sorry. Do you, proof is, wait, sorry, sorry. Proof is not the standard? I'm not sure what you mean. Again, because the zeitgeist uh, society has never occurred before, so he can't prove to you that that's the right way to organize society because he'd have to actually organize society that way. He has to use what's in the current society and reason to show you that that's the way things should be done. Same with you. It has to be reason using what's wrong with the current society because no, you no, can't no. Prove but it. slow. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, first, I mean, I get that this is because uh, Peter said in the debate he said that he doesn't do philosophy. He only does things from empirical science or empirical evidence, which is kind of like the 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 Sam Harris approach. Which is not to say that they're the same or anything like that. But so so in that situation, uh, you you cannot use uh, reason to uh, to to show something right like so if if you say to somebody who knows nothing this is not for you you understand this but just for others so if you say to somebody uh, uh, what is the capital of turkey and they don't know they can't use reason to figure it out right they have to go look it up because it's not something that right that you can that you can reason out it's just something you either know or you don't right and if you say to somebody who doesn't know um, what is the speed of light they don't know it's 186,000 miles a second or whatever it is, that they won't be able to reason that out. They have to, right? And so, and if I hold a balloon to you and I hold a balloon in my two hands and I say, if I let go of this balloon, will it go up or down? You can't reason out whether it's going to go up or down because you don't know if it's full of helium or not. Not if you do, don't worry. So you'd have to see if it goes up or down, whether it's full of helium or air or whatever, right? So I, I get all of that for sure, for sure. But... um I did make arguments that did not require evidence, right? Because, right. And because, like, because you cannot possibly propose a society that you can't prove ahead of time, that right, you can't like, make any right. arguments that are rational ahead of time, right? So I made the argument that um, the people who voluntarily exchange things must in that moment believe that they're better off after that exchange than beforehand because they're both doing it voluntarily. And I, I pointed that out. I said that is axiomatically true. That is praxeologically true, which you know is a technical term, which is not that important. But that is uh, uh, that is uh, a true uh, uh, statement uh, that that can't be. It can't really be denied. You could say, well, they shouldn't trade or whatever. But those people believe that they're better off after that voluntary trade. That so that's an argument that is uh, uh, is uh, it's clear, uh, I think, and and does not require that we go and t and ask everyone who's engaged in trade, whether they think they'll be better off or not, right? That's not something we have to go and survey. That's just something that is true. It's just true because people are voluntarily engaged in something. Therefore, they prefer to do that than something else. That's just based on, on logic and, and reality. So there – and this is one of an, a number of, of cases that I made uh, in that uh, situation where I don't require that everyone trust me uh, and say, uh, oh um, – just let's let's let Steph get rid of all the governments and cross her fingers and hope everything's better. Uh, I also, of course, have, have made a number of, of arguments saying that when the price system is more respected, uh, when property rights are more respected, uh, societies tend to do better. So we're really just continuing that trend. Uh, whereas when there is central planning where prices are not allowed, and I had this in my original debate with the Zeit, some Zeitgeister years ago, 
which is the Musesian calculation problem, uh, which is that price contains an enormous amount of information that when you don't have price, you don't have. And when you don't have price, you don't know how to efficiently allocate resources. It can't be done centrally. Like there's no algorithm that can reproduce the wants, needs, and changing desires of billions of people around the world. So you just it's not a push thing. You can just push it out. And so I've made sort of lots of arguments as to why these things are impossible. And I think I've shown uh, in a repeated number of, of both moral and economic arguments as well as historical examples that when we get closer uh, to, to private property and the free market, society tends to do better. And when we eliminate price, uh, which is the fundamental failure of centrally planned or socialistic or RBE-based economies, things tend to go really, really badly. Um, so those are – I think those are moral – rational, empirical, and historical arguments. Um, and so I think it's, I mean, obviously, I think it's fairly convincing. Other people, of course, can reject whatever they want. But I'm certainly not saying that we can't judge anything before we do it, and therefore we have to implement it to see if it'll work. I just don't think that's a reasonable approach to wanting to change the world. Um, well, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the, um, the some of the stuff you just brought up, because I think when he was saying... Um, like I, 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 you got really upset when he, or the, you didn't like when he's calling your stuff uh, truncated and simplistic, and I wanted to, I guess, explain what he meant by that. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, do you know what he meant by that? Because you can explain I, I to do. me what you think um, he meant by that, but I don't think you know what he meant by that necessarily. I, like, when, like the the argument that you give uh, for uh a voluntary society where you boil it down where it's these two people voluntarily exchanging something you say by definition uh their two people are better off uh because of that trade um i no no that, sorry no 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 like uh, the, the guy exactly who buys said, cocaine it? and ejects it in his eyeball may not be better off after the trade i don't know i said that in the debate i don't know you got to be precise right i don't know whether someone's better off or not but those two people must believe that they're better off i don't know whether they're objectively better off or not right okay well i think in the video you said by definition those people are better off um no no i said i, I said that they believe that they're better off Okay. Um, but anyway, it doesn't, doesn't and, usually matter. I just want to want to be precise on that. What what that means is that a, that little um, argument that you're making takes out all the variables. Sorry, why, of, is, why is it a, why is it a little argument? That argument that you make takes out all the variables in society which make a voluntary trade make people not better off, as in the variable of how different in education those two people are, uh, the variable of the disclosure of what's being sold, the variable of where these people are from, the variable of how many friends each one has and the ability for them to enforce their property rights over each other. Um, it's, it's simplistic because you're that argument removes all the variables which make that argument false. Okay, so then you can falsify it. So under what conditions would people be voluntarily engaged in a trade where they did not expect in some way or another to be better off as a result of that trade? Well, I think it's... I, I, I think it's we should look at it objectively, whether these people are actually better off and not whether they just think they're better off and so if – and I think one of the variables that has to be put into your argument is the difference of sophistication between these two people. 
as in if you have someone you know someone who's extremely educated in economics trading with you know an 18 year old odds are that 18 year old is going to get the crap end of the stick and he's not going to be better off by definition so and can you give a, me an example i i just did it, it, like that's just that's just a, a variable that has to be added to the that, to your argument is how the so are you wait sorry are you saying are you saying that that people who are more educated uh, cheat people who are less educated no i'm saying that the variable of the dif- difference of sophistication has to be one of the things that's added to that argument that you make because to 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 make okay this but argument- sorry but so give me a concrete example like i have the lemonade stand and stuff like that in the debate so what is the person with a degree in economics what are they trading the, for the the eighteen year old, well, give me an example of what they might be trading. Does he want um, him to mow his lawn? Is that right? Like, like like the guy who's got a degree, maybe four pregnant once. He's selling a car, but the person that's buying it doesn't know, um, for example, that this car, um, they just made a billion more of them. The value of the car is actually like ten times less uh, what he's selling it for. Are they both right. better off because of the trade? So that, of course, could never happen where they just made a billion more of the car, and right? You, you I mean, I, I don't mind theoretical examples, but they do have to sort of be in the realm of reality. But let's say well, that – Why not? Uh, I mean, let's say the kid doesn't know that the more cars are produced, new cars come out all the time. Oh, well, see, but, it, no, but look, if you're, if you're going to make up some crazy example, then I'll say, oh, no, see, it's okay because what the professor of economics doesn't realize is that there's a winning lottery ticket inside the dash of the car for a no, million dollars. Gotta, so, the car, so now no. the kid is a million dollars richer and therefore everything – like you can just make up anything you want, right? No, you've got to answer based on the hypothetical that I've created. No, no, but if you're going to put up unrealistic hypotheticals, then I'll just put up my own unrealistic hypotheticals it, and we're at a standstill, right? But you haven't proven that it's unrealistic. But you haven't proven that there's not a winning lottery ticket in the dashboard of the car, so he's better off. I mean, he, he's cheated uh, the rich guy or whatever, right? Okay, I mean, I'll give you a different example. Like, what if it's a, sure. a boat and, and, the, and the kid doesn't know that the boat... Um, is only going to run for like six months, and he t- and the no, kid, and nobody it, knows that. How, how is how is how is somebody going to know that a boat is only going to run for six months? Is that I'm giving you a hypothetical. Just answer the hypothetical. No, no, because it has to be something within the realm of reality. Because then I'll just say, oh no, uh, it's a self-healing boat that runs for infinity. Is, right? The motor is defective, and the it, it's it's estimated to only last for six months. I mean. Uh, it's depreciating. It's it's going down. It's it's failing. And he's selling the boat to him, and he's telling him the boat works. And the kid wants the boat, and he sells it to him. And they're not both better off because there's an improper disclosures because the parties are different levels of sophistication. And I think if you add that into your argument, your argument is weakened. And that's why I think that argument that you make for this whole voluntary society, it's it, you're removing all the variables. No, no, but you. Sorry, I mean, you, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I mean, I just I don't know if you've ever traded. Anyway, look, the kid who wants to buy a boat can either choose to pay for somebody to independently inspect the boat or not, right? I, I, sure, but let's say. Okay, that- so if the hang on, hang on. So if the kid decides to not 
pay somebody a hundred or two hundred bucks to go check the boat out, then he's saving that money. Now, by saving that money, he takes the risk that the boat might not be in quite the shape that the owner thinks it is or says it is, right? But he's saving that money. So by not doing that, he must believe either that the boat owner is trustworthy or that he knows enough about boats or whatever it is. So he's not going to spend that money. So he saves that money. Now, if he has doubts about the quality of the boat, then he will hire someone to go and check out whether the boat is is good or not, right? Uh, right? And so if he, decides to, if he decides to save the money, he believes that he's better off not paying for that money. And then he takes the chance that he might be wrong about the boat, but he's willing to take that chance. So he is better off. And if he doesn't believe that the boat okay, is, I mean, is, is safe, then he's going to pay that couple hundred bucks to have the mechanic check it out. And then he's going to be certain about it. So he is better off. I, I, again, I don't understand why he's not cheated. If he, if he doesn't have someone go and check the boat out, then he's taking his own risks, right? I, I completely agree, but I think that if, if if when you make the argument, you have to add in certain qualifications, like the one that you just made, which is no, this is not a people, qualification. Yeah, it is. This it's is not a qualification. People, no, parties, if he decides to buy no, if he decides to buy something without getting it checked out, then he believes fully that he's better off being traded that. fair and. Equal. It, yeah, but it, I'm sorry? It, you have to look at it objectively. It's not about what he thinks he's getting. It's about what he's actually getting objectively. But, but I mean, who, you, okay, so do you, do you believe let, – let's say that that's, that's fine. Okay, let's, let's, let's give that one over. So do you believe that something uh, like trade can be objectively evaluated by other people? Yes. Okay, and now who pays for that? Who pays for what? So, like, because what I'm saying is that trade? this kid who wants listen, this kid who wants to buy the boat doesn't want someone. He doesn't want to pay for somebody to objectively evaluate the boat. I I understand, but but the, so do you the, force the, him the to pay for it? That you're making in in that two people by definition when they're voluntarily trading are by definition better off. The, no, 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 no. You got look. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna continue to talk with you if you continue to not listen. I am listening. Okay, I, because I, that's not what I said. I did not say that they're objectively better off. Okay. Because I don't right, know what objectively. There. Look, listen. I don't know what objectively better off means. Because I can't decide for other people how they should spend their time and resources. I know that they shouldn't be using violence. Of course, I mean, I'm sure we would agree on that. I know they shouldn't be violating persons and property, but I don't know if this kid who buys the boat should have someone go and evaluate that boat. I don't know if it's worth it for him or not. I don't know if I should force him to pay $200 or $300 to have somebody evaluate the boat. Maybe he's an expert mechanic and he knows. Maybe he's got an ironclad contract that if the boat fails within six months, this guy gives him a million dollars. Maybe this guy is an old family friend who would never dream of cheating him. I don't know whether he should pay for that or not. And nobody can know that for sure who's not those people. Because there's no such thing as objective evaluations of people's deals without forcing them to pay for those objective evaluations. And I don't know whether or not he should pay for that or whether he should not pay for that or whether he is objectively better off or objectively not better off. I don't like cocaine. I've never used it and I never will. 
On the other hand, I really like the music of Freddie Mercury. I believe he did <laughs> some considerable amounts of cocaine. I think Sgt. Pepper's is a great album. And I believe those guys used Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was not a picture on a fridge. I think it's LSD. Now, am I going to say, well, people shouldn't take drugs. So i got to throw out half my music collection and half my books. I don't know. I don't want to. But that's because I'm not a musician. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever, right? So I don't – this objectively better off or worse off, I don't know. But I certainly am not comfortable forcing people to pay for these kinds of evaluations that may or may not determine that. That's up to them because I don't know the details of their situation. They know the details of their situation, and they can make their choices and accept the consequences. But I can't figure out what is meant by objectively better off or worse off. I, I mean, I, for instance, I think prostitution is terrible. And I would fight tooth and nail against all the situations and environment that produce prostitution. I think prostitution comes out of child abuse, which is a violation of the non-aggression principle. I think the prostitution comes out of the fact that prostitution is illegal, which is a violation of the non-aggression principle. I think the prostitution comes out of the war on drugs, which is a violation of peaceful trade. Uh, I think that there's a whole load of things. And, and prostitution also comes out of violations of, of uh, trade wherein women can't get better jobs because it's illegal to or they're banned from it or something like that. So I think that's horrible, uh, prostitution. Never been to one, never will. Uh, but um, And I would work like a devil, as I do, to create an environment wherein there'd be less to no prostitution. But I would not use force to prevent somebody from going to a prostitute. Um. Well, I guess going back to the uh, objective value thing, if you if I trade you a bunch of stock for a boat, is that not capable of being objectively valued? A bunch of stock for a boat? Mm-hmm. No, how could that possibly be objectively valued? I don't know if the stock's going to go up or down. Doesn't the market determine what the, something's value at a certain time? Well, sure, but by the time you finish signing the papers, it's changed, right, usually. So we could objectively. I mean, stocks back. go. The, the economists just, the economists just, I think, got the, no, the Nobel Prize or something for, for the work they did in the seventies of pointing out the random walks of stocks. Like it's simply, it's completely impossible to predict. But, but okay. So let's say you trade stock for a boat. All right. So, so what then? I'm just saying that that's a perfectly good example of, of something that can be objectively valued in the market. So you could retroactively determine if both parties got. Uh, by definition, we're better off in their voluntary trade. I'm sorry, I don't know how you would do that. I'm I'm open to it. I, I just I'm not sure how you would do that. Because somebody... how do you know how much stock a, a boat is worth? I can <laughs> I could buy a certain amount of GE stocks that are projected to value at a certain or based on a certain value at a point in time and the take the value of the boat and when they're equal we trade and they're exactly equal it's completely objective but i'm sorry what is i don't know what you mean by the value of the boat there's so no such thing the as boat? the value of a boat the value of the boat is whatever someone's if willing to pay for it it's not like part right, of the boat exactly. right? market value of the boat but the market value is whatever someone is willing to pay for it right but that's objective no, that's subjective. What somebody is willing, what somebody chooses to pay for it. Yeah, but it's over the whole, it's the market itself, not just one person. Well, but so the market is nothing more so, than or less than the so, aggregation, right? So there was a woman so like, who sold her, hang on a sec, there was a woman who sold her husband's 
sports car. I can't remember, Porsche. I think it was a Porsche. And she sold it for 10 bucks because she was really angry at him. Does that mean that a Porsche is worth 10 bucks? No. Yeah, but Most Porsches sell for a lot more than that, but that Porsche was worth 10 bucks because somebody yeah, you... bought it and somebody sold it for that amount, right? Yeah, but you didn't get to determine the value of your house. The value of your house is objectively valued by the market. So what you think your house is worth no, doesn't no, is I participate. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I participate in determining the value of my house for sure. Because if somebody yeah. comes and offers me $10 for it, I'll say no. Right, but the value of your house is objective. It's not just based on what you think it's worth, correct? No. How is it objective? Because I can look at the market at any day and just and see what any house is worth on the market. It doesn't have anything to do with what I think they're wait, wait, worth. No, hang on, hang on. Do you, do you mean like the MLS listings? Do you mean like a real estate? Sure. This house sells. But that's not. that may not be the final price at all. At that point in time, it is. No. No, that's the suggested price. That's what they would like to get for it. They may get more, they may get less. That's what they'd be willing to sell it for. But if you get two people coming in and bidding it, you get a bidding war, you might end up with 50% more. So, Or, or if nobody wants to buy it, it might be 50% less. I don't know, in which case you may not want to sell it. But price only occurs in the moment of transaction only for those two people and only in that moment of transaction. Right. So, right, if, you so if you're a retail, if you're, if you're a store and nobody's buying those sweaters, you'll cut them pr the price in half and you'll keep right. cutting the price so, until you throw it out. So what's the price? Well, whatever people are willing to pay for it. So but there's no not, objective price, right? But you can't Snapchat, you can't snap the transaction exactly when, they, when it crosses hands and determine the value sure. of both those things? Well, you could determine the price of that for sure. Uh, that, uh, and, but, but what does that mean? That just means that in that moment, those two people were willing to exchange those things for that amount. Exactly. But the value of those two things are objectively valuable. Okay. We just, you just keep saying this word. I keep disproving it, and you just keep saying it. I don't understand what we're talking about here. Then. No, you, you just said that. What is, the objective, what is the objective value of a bottle of water? Whatever the market says it is. Okay, great. And, and that's going to change continually. Right. So it's continually objective. Again, I, I, again objective, I don't, I don't understand what you mean by objective. As in, I don't get to wake up and determine how much water costs. I have to go to the market and buy it based on what the market says it's worth. It's not subjective. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, come on. If the market says a bottle of water is a million dollars, do you just buy it? I, no, I don't. go to the, I go to the lowest one and I decide what's the lowest water I can buy and I buy it. No, I, not I necessarily. No, you I, may not. Come on, you you, you got to study some economics, man. Seriously, you don't you don't necessarily go with the cheapest water. The cheapest water is tap water. I do. For God's sakes, right? I, I mean, I go. you, you I, I people like pay like water. five bucks for Italian imported spring water, right? Yeah. Anyway. So I don't know what – it's not that's not worth it to me. But what I'm pointing out that there is no objective price. And that's why one of the reasons this is important is that it's one of the reasons why central planning doesn't work. Because so, nobody knows in advance for every individual what things are worth for them under what circumstances. Only so, the, the moment of transaction will tell you that. And that doesn't tell you much about tomorrow. So – your argument for a 
voluntary society is, is based on, in part, the fact that all things are only subjectively valued. That's true. That's exactly right. Well, it's, it's not my argument for it. It's that all things are subjectively valued, in that there is no such thing as an objective price. I mean, you, you, you know, you pay $1,000 for a horse and carriage, some idiot comes along and invents the car, and suddenly you can't give those things away, right? What is the objective value of that? So what well, is just the, changed. So what is the market then? Isn't the market the collective? When, the, when everybody gets together in a market with their subjective value and they're aggregated, aren't they creating an objective value of what everything is cost in a society? I don't know. Again, I, you keep going back to objective value, and I, I still you, you're not either not processing or not understanding or not listening to my arguments. Well, okay. So, so if, we, if you and I both walk into a room and we see a bottle of water, and you say you think it's worth five dollars, and I say it, I think it's worth ten dollars, and I average that, could I not have an objective estimate of what the value of water is worth? No. Why not? No, you, you can't. Why not? Because it, because if I have ten dollars and I'm willing to buy the bottle of water, then that bottle of water is worth ten dollars to me. If you're dying of thirst, you'll give them five hundred dollars. I don't know what, right? Whoever, right? But all all it just tells you is is that's what the bottle of water is worth for you in the moment. I, I don't know about objective price. I mean, what does that even mean? I just drank three glasses of water, or I just want to use the washroom. It's worth nothing to me. In fact, I'd pay to not drink it. Um, I guess I, I guess I wanted to say something a different topic um, about your your guys's debate. Um, everybody, I guess that's been on the show so far, keeps like saying that he did a lot of ad hominem, um, like basically that he characterized your arguments in certain ways, um, and that's not what an ad hominem is an ad hominem is attacking the person so like an ad hominem is like you don't understand this argument because you're stupid like i'm giving you a quality but if i qualify right. your so if argument, he says that my if he says my argument is simplistic then he's saying that i'm being simplistic and is calling no, me simplistic for making no, these ab- arguments absolutely not he's qualifying no, your absolutely. argument, not you you're making the inference that that's being uh carried on to you oh so but, if i look so if i say your argument is stupid you wouldn't take that personally. It doesn't. Well, I may or may not, but that's not an ad hominem because an ad hominem is directly attacking the person, not the argument. So if someone says your argument is dumb, no, no, sorry, that's, that's not <laughs> but an dumb ad is not an argument. If you call an it argument dumb, that's an ad hominem against the argument because it's not. not it's just calling the argument dumb. You're not disproving anything, right? No, I know, but an ad hominem by definition is attacking the person. So if someone qualifies your argument in a certain way. That's not an ad hominem because an ad hominem is attacking you in your personal capacity and, and nothing to do with the argument. So anytime uh, – if I say your argument is dumb or whatever, I, I could say that all day. I haven't committed a single ad hominem. Um, that being said, the one thing that I was really um, concerned about is that you went on – at the very end of your like critique of him and you gave like a 20 minute uh, thing about how 
you know, the, the zeitgeist movement is the way they are because of like a, you know, a psychological evaluation of him and his uh, childhood. That you know, his, no, he, that's he is, not what I said. You, I didn't know. I, you I, did. you, I you, absolutely did not say that. First of all, I did not attack him, right? Because you just said you knew all about it, homonyms. What I said was that it's a possibility which explains some things but is not proven. That's what I said. Okay, I didn't well, say zeitgeisters so, are this way because, right? I said that this is this is something that would fit what is happening, but it's not proof. Right. So that is that is ad hominem. When you attack the motive of someone, that is an ad hominem attack. So, like, if I said, for example, um, you know, people who want voluntary societies are only that way because they got, you know, beat up a lot as a child, so they don't want in a society with no aggression. Um, that's ad hominem, because I'm attacking your motive. So that would be a completely irrelevant point. Um, so any, any, everything you said about, like, well, he's only this way, zeitgeist, because of their childhood or whatever, that's that's ad hominem. So I'm trying to figure out why. Actually, no, that's that. not that's not at all an ad hominem. Actually, it's very. I was very sympathetic in that. I'm not. I'm not calling the person stupid or dumb. And it's one thing to say that an argument is simplistic without ever proving it. And it's quite another thing to say when you've pretty effectively rebutted someone's arguments to say that there may be some reason why this is, view is so appealing to people, even though it's, you know, false. Right. So so it's not an ad hominem to say that there may be some motivations for some people to have certain beliefs uh, at all. I mean, to explore that as a possibility, it's not an I'm not saying that zeitgeisters are stupid. I'm not saying that they're idiots. I'm not saying that they're uh, intellectually embarrassing. I'm saying that there may be uh, some psychological motives that may may lend people to be more susceptible to these kinds of irrational ideas. That's not an ad hominem at all. Yeah, you, if you look on Wikipedia, you can see that attacking the motive is a derivative of an ad hominem attack. I wasn't attacking. I wasn't attacking the motive. I wasn't saying that they are they have they have ill intent, and that's why uh, they they believe silly things. And what you know, his point about it being truncated was proven in that he said he's saying that you're taking out the variables in your argument that make the argument stand on its shoulders so the argument is truncated and simplistic because you're removing all the variables that are in reality but that's i mean this that doesn't prove anything you're just restating what truncated means i mean it's still not not i'm not proving it absolutely i'm giving an argument that's an argument what i just did removing variables what does that even mean See, see, you gave like, me an example of how I was removing variables, and I think I defended it quite adroitly, right? And you said that there's objective price, and I think I defended that there wasn't quite adroitly, right? But just saying you're removing variables is not an argument. If I say, well, Einstein is wrong because he didn't take into account all the variables. Statement. Hang on. If, if, I say, if I say Einstein was wrong because he doesn't take into account all the variables, what have I proven? I have to say specifically what yeah. those variables are, how Einstein I, did not uh, include them. And, of course, in my debate with Peter, I, he had to make sure that they weren't originating from state power. The variable – there are many variables that you take out of your example, and I gave you one this level of sophistication. Uh, the, Which I rebutted. Uh, uh, the ability for both parties to enforce their own property rights. Um, 
the the educational background of these two people, where they're from, whether they speak the same language, whether um, they both have the same currency, whether they're from the same, um, you know, there's a time. Oh, I understand. I mean, I... Look, I understand. You don't look. This is you don't have to explain to me that there are differences between people. I understand that. I, I, I'm actually quite, you know, I'm I'm 47 years old. I got a master's degree. I ran a business. I have a successful marriage. I have a successful podcast. I've spoken with many very intelligent people throughout the years. I do understand that there are differences between people. You don't have to go through a laundry list of that. It's, you know, kind of obvious okay, that that's not adding you, anything to the equation. But when you make a broad sweeping uh, intellectual assertion broad sweeping, that, broad sweeping is just another set of adjectives. Doesn't explain okay, anything. Doesn't add anything. But you, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't dismiss my adjectives before you allow me to explain them. No, no, you don't understand how debates work or how arguments work. You must prove your point, and then you can apply the adjectives. Right, but proof can follow later. So I'm about to show. No, you no, no, my... no. Because adjectives beforehand is a sophistic trick. In other words, you like to describe something in a negative vein and in the hopes that people will notice that you haven't brought much proof to the situation. Yeah, but, yeah, but you can't arbitrate when I, how I speak. No, but I can certainly choose not to participate in a conversation where you use adjectives instead of making a case because it's, 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 it's not good debating. It's just not intelligent. Right, but, but I, can give, I can give a conclusory statement and then I can give a set of uh, proof or analysis that follows. So, it, I mean, you shouldn't dismiss um, my conclusory statement every time I make one just because it contains an adjective because I'm about to tell you a whole bunch of stuff that explains the statement. Okay, well, I'm afraid you haven't been hearing anything that I say, and it's past 1 o'clock in the morning here for me, so I'm afraid I'm going to have to end this, but I do thank you for calling in, and it certainly is very enjoyable to chat with the people who have different perspectives and approaches. I, I really do appreciate that. It was an interesting and enjoyable conversation. I hope people got some uh, some value out of it, and uh, have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. Uh, FDRURL.com forward slash donate. Uh, if you would like to help me determine the objective value of Free Domain Radio, that would be fantastic. I would love it. Nothing more. Uh, have yourselves a wonderful week, everyone. Of course, I will speak to you if you are so inclined on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time. And uh, just for the notes of those who are following these sorts of excitements, uh, the documentary is coming along. Our, our uh, We had a nice uh, conference call together with the uh, head animator who is uh, – uh, raring to go back on track and raring to go he was a bit uh travely and and uh, unavailable during the summer but we're back on track the music's coming along funny sound effects are virtually complete and uh, mike and i will be knuckling down this weekend to uh come up with hopefully fitting video images for the few bits of black spots that remain so uh, cross my fingers Oh, I hope the best that it will be done within a month. I really believe it can be, uh, but I will, of course, keep you posted should you be so inclined as to follow. Uh, but I'm, since I get a lot of questions about that, that's where things are. So have yourselves a completely wonderful week, everyone. Uh, thanks again for all of the callers. Uh, last guy in particular was really enjoyable, and um, I hope to talk to you soon.